What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Radiovania, episode number 111, your nerdy public radio for all things entertainment and pop culture. My name is Zach Rotello, at Zach Rotello on Twitter, and sitting across from me back in the virtual space after a raucous weekend is uh, John Little Too Sleepy Parker. <laughs> no, no, come on. I'm, I'm awake. I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Pray to, Pray God, to God that, that it's not even. <laughs> um, What's up, man? How's it going? I haven't seen you in so long. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a whole 24 hours. 24 hours or something like that since I wave goodbye to you. Yeah. Um, It's me. It's been too long. You know what I mean? I mean, we could have just done the show right from your car with Grayson. You're just like driving home from Cincinnati all all nice and toasted from a 48-hour bender. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that would have been really good for the content. I think I could still even like tell in my voice that I'm like... Dying. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. You got that. You got the lounge singer voice going on. It's like it's like uh, you in a club, a smoky New York club at like three in the morning. Like you've already had, like you've already bought hey, like fifteen sure different women old fashions. But be sure to tip your waitresses. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one I like to call suspicious minds. Like everybody, welcome Brandy to the floor. Brandy. Brandy. <laughs> Brandy up. to the stage. Loves Aquarius Brandy. on deck. <laughs> well, you've joined on a good one, even though, you know, we're, we're going to talk about everything that we've been doing recently, but um, this is going to be a good episode because it's going to be chock full of content. This is a maybe if I, I don't know, you might disagree with me on this one. This might be our biggest news episode in months, probably, maybe it's probably def- like it's it's definitely as big as like when they do uh, like D23 or something like that. It's, it's yeah. like that kind of weight of topic but there's not it's not just like everything from one convention we're covering everything it's like yeah it's like a every aspect of, of pop culture yeah it's crazy so if you've never listened to the uh, the show before you're in for a treat because we're gonna have a shit ton of cool stuff to talk about uh but radiovania is a pop culture podcast that john and i've been doing for the last however many years and uh we we talk about movies and video games, television, music, comics, everything under the sun, uh, and you can follow us by going to Radiovania.com and checking out all of our old episodes and uh, subscribe, like us, give us a review, thumbs up, wherever whatever your podcast platform allows you to do, please do that because it helps. And then uh, follow us on Twitter at Radiovania. You can go to uh, Radiovania Show on Instagram, or you can email the show with all your questions, comments, and concerns to Radiovania Show at gmail.com. Check out some of the stuff we've been doing, our Fast 8, our Fate of the Furious review. So most fun. Recently. Yeah, fun episode. I, I always forget how fun it is to talk about the Fast and Furious movies until yep. we sit down and do one, and I'm like, God, these, these are it's hidden gems. Home. Yeah, seriously. That's a, that's a news story I forgot to add in there. Did you see the poster for Fast 10? I did. I mean, we could talk about it real quick. It's just the poster of Vin, like, holding, <laughs> holding the crucifix, and it all looks right. like – it honestly looks like a Daredevil cover. It doesn't either. <laughs> it, it's like – I just see that poster and I hear that song that (laughs) (laughs) so wait so the 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 interesting thing though is the poster says May May of this year yeah that's a crazy turnaround because the first trailer is supposed to come out and on the Super Bowl weekend it comes out I know yeah I'm so like that it's like that's like when we saw the Logan trailer and then it came out like two months later you know what I mean I'm, I'm here for it Maybe it's like Infinity War. They just have so much they don't want to spoil, so they're just like keeping their cards close to the chest. Sure, yeah. What Bring I really me like, Shaw. <laughs> what I really like is the tagline where it says the beginning of the the road, the end of the road's beginning, or something like that. 
And I'm like, oh, let's fucking go, baby. End of the road begins. Yeah, the end yeah. of the road begins. But that's no, yeah, sick. Thank you for joining up on this episode. We're gonna cut straight through the BS um, and get to you know stuff that we've been up to recently before we can get to the news and talk about the big stories of the week. We've got a ton to talk about though. We've got uh, Avatar. We've got all the updates with Justin Roiland and Adult Swims with Rick and Morty. Yeah. We're also going to talk about the topic of the show is the big three. It's the one, two, three punch. It's like the Holy Trinity, baby. The Last of Us HBO series. We've seen the first three episodes. Yep. We're going to talk about them in full spoiler detail. Um, we're not going to spoil it right away. So if you haven't listened, to the, if you haven't watched the show, wait till then. We'll give a spoiler free thing and then we're going to talk all about it. So get excited for that. We're also going to talk about all the Oscars nominations for this year's Oscars awards. And then we're going to end the show by talking about the big drop, which was we're recording today, January 31st, 2023. James Gunn revealed the plans for the DCU. Um, and uh, yep, we've up got through so like much at least design. like 20, 25 or six or something like that. Something like that. Uh, so it's going to be a big chock full show. Um, before we get into what we've been up to, I'll just say one quick thing. John was in Cincinnati this weekend with our buddy Grayson, uh, spent a lovely weekend with some friends. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the Bengals are toasting. You're 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 a better tour guide than you give yourself credit for. No, I, I think I I mean I maybe I, I don't like to toot my own horn, but I think I'm an, a pretty good tour guide for Cincinnati. If someone if yeah, some if, if someone were to hire me to be like, here's five hundred dollars, like plan a me a weekend in Cincinnati. I think I could do that pretty well. Yeah, we should get into the Radiovania like party planning business. You know, where it's. Just like... <laughs> it's just giving them a good show you know yeah it's like uh the reality <laughs> go to the hard tour. rock until yeah. four in the 4 a.m with the radiovania boys yep. that would be that would be like our platinum tier on patreon it's like if you sure. donate a thousand dollars a month or something like that it's like we'll take you to the hard rock and and let john uh run away from you <laughs> and disclaimer he might hit you <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but it was a great weekend. We had a great, fun time. The Bengals are toast. Uh, I'm depressed. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm sad, but, um, you know. It was a close I, one. It was a close one. Um, NFL rigged. Hashtag NFL rigged. I'm in. Uh, State Farm Stadium. Uh, what more needs to be said? Pat, Patrick Mahomes got the fifth down on that last that last drive. And rewatching those plays yeah. just makes my heart sink even farther into my testicles. So. The extra down's pretty baffling. The pushing him when he's falling out of bounds it was it was the right call, but he wouldn't have been in that position without the without the extra down, which was weird. The yeah. Mad Tree Brewing Company was like a fucking ground zero for a riot when that happened. <laughs> I was like, this is this could get pretty dicey. Yeah, I mean, you want to see you just want. I mean, here's the thing, man, is that like, and I'll make it brief because I know we got shit to talk about, but. Yeah. Football is special. The Bengals are special. I love the city of Cincinnati. I'm happy for this team. I think it's awesome that we've had two years, two playoff runs. Last year we went to the Super Bowl. We couldn't pull it off this year. But um, it's just cool to be part of that community. Even if we're doing poorly, it's still fun. It's great that we're doing really well. Um, yeah. I'll see y'all next time next year, this same exact time next year for the playoff run again. Um, but it's just it, it is gut-wrenching to watch uh, the vibe completely change because – now the narrative is not, well, the Bengals are good enough to get the Super Bowl. It's like, well, what if they're not good enough to ever get there ever again? And that's like, yeah. So does that make you more mad at the Los Angeles Rams than, yeah, than the does. Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, yeah. That's I, always the vibe that I'm at because it was like, Ray sneak into the World Series during 2020. They lose to the Dodgers. Next year they win 101 games, which is a franchise record, and then they get outed by the Red Sox in the first round. And I was like. 
it could be a while. It could be a while before we get back there. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard to get to the championship game at yeah. the elite level. So I'm happy that we made it. It's it was a fun season. Uh, we made uh, the thing that I'll remember most about this weekend is the memories that we made along the way. <laughs> so um, I'm glad you can remember this weekend. <laughs> yeah, even despite the loss, uh, man, did we have an eventful Saturday night that we don't need to divulge. But um, yeah. man, yeah, that was a good one. One for the books. One for the books. <laughs> really, one for the books. Um, so yeah, this is Radiovania. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be talking some new stuff there, but we want to start out with that. But before we get into all the big news and the big topics, John, what you been up to, buddy? Uh, I've been you know consuming content as it comes into my life. Uh, but the you know the thing that's been taking the most of my time has been out of War Ragnarok, which has been fucking awesome it's just a really good game i'm not quite finished with the main story um so no spoilers but i'm sure you and i will eventually talk about the game on the show or at oh, least yeah. i would like to um definitely definitely well worth investing in playing it specifically on the playstation 5 which is what i've been playing it on uh hands down better than the last god of war game which was already really fucking good wow you're already putting your stamp on that one. Oh yeah yeah, dude, no, no question. From just the simple mechanic and narrative, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm excited to finish it though. Let me tell you, man. Some of those, some of those, uh, some of those combos that you can get going once you have like multiple weapons. Shoosh. Pretty it's, awesome it's, shit, dude. It's pretty satisfying to just cut this lizard in half. <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> yeah. Rah. It's a great game. I loved I loved my experience with it. I'm very, very excited to see how you enjoy the ending because the last like hour is nuts. Just absolutely bonkers. It's a lot like the last one. So yeah, quick quick spoilers for like a minute. So jump ahead like a minute. Jump ahead sixty seconds, everybody. Um, I'm at the part where you just helped uh the wolves wake up they can uh lower the moon and you can now control the daylight in the nighttime. Yeah. And last night Last night was when I fought the wolf in hell, and I was like, this is fucking lit. <laughs> it's like, pretty awesome. Sick. Yeah, so that's where yeah. I'm at right now. Yeah, the environments are really, really cool. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I think that the inclusion of Thor and Odin make that game um, just awesome. I love both of those performances that the and the characters, too, the way the story unfolds with everything. It's it's, it's pretty awesome. Like I, I, they, I'm really impressed that they were able to pull it off. Considering how good, because I thought God of War 2018 was a 10. I also think this is this is easily a 10. It's just I know it's like it's like going one A and one B with games, but um, I think the I actually really enjoy playing as Atreus. I don't know how you feel necessarily, but I thought that that was a nice inclusion. Helps to spread out the story, make the scope a little bit bigger too, and it feels different, which is nice. Yeah. I like it. I didn't. That is like my one hang up is that like I didn't. I just don't love him as much as I find it satisfying to play as Kratos, but. Oh, you get no, it. not even close. It's like it's like it's like being Abby. I mean, there's still like no, really no, fun no, 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 no. parts to it. But I think being Abby sometimes is more fun than being Ellie because she's like super brutal and physical. Like, are you talking about like gameplay wise or like the story? I'm talking about the gameplay. Oh, OK, story wise, yeah. like I think that some of the Abby stuff is on is on par so with like, good. Ellie. But like yeah, the story stuff with Atreus, I think, is like generally really, really good. It's just playing as Atreus. You're more limited you're not fighting like these big epic battles. You're having more like smaller encounters. That was just the stuff yeah. where I was like, every time I was like, I was like, this is really cool. And I like this story, but I'm ready to be Kratos again. 
Yeah, no, there's that. There is one particular moment that I was feeling that way. Um, but it hasn't. It hasn't really. I feel like they've been perfectly spaced segments so that it's not like you're not stuck playing as him for too long. Yeah. Sure. Wait till you get to the scene where you have to play as the world serpent. <sighs> Can't wait. It's just like <laughs> slowly moving your <laughs> controller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So anyway, that's that's the main thing that I've been up to. Okay. Do you want to knock out the rest of yours or you want to swap back and forth? Yeah, sure. I can keep going if you want. I've been reading a lot of comics, but I wanted to touch on Nightwing, uh, specifically yeah, really the Tom Taylor this. run. Yeah, it started a couple years ago. I'm really late to the party, but I just want to get it out there in the open now. Check this out. You can get the first two trades worth of the the run by Tom Taylor. Um, I picked up a couple of single issues just because the covers looked dope, and I was like, how have I not been reading this? So I'm going back, and I'm reading back, and then getting caught up, and I've added it to my poll list. So I'm pretty stoked about that. If you're looking for like cool. a more fun, like lighthearted DC book, Nightwing feels like reading like a Spider-Man book, which is pretty cool. Um, and how long has Nightwing been running in this current iteration, like with the writers? Like 30 and issues or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check that out for sure. I have been I watched the first two episodes of The Bad Batch season two, and I have not watched any since because, again, all of my free time has been watching HBO's The Last of Us or playing Ragnarok. Um, I will get back into finishing it. The premiere didn't really overwhelm me that much, but I really enjoyed the first season. So I'm hoping to have some fun with the second season. I just got to get back into it. And then uh, I was speaking with the green ones one night in my home and watched Glass Onion the new Ryan Johnson film that was re- released in theaters and then on Netflix. And, uh, yeah. Speaking so, with the green ones. Yeah. You know, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> got it. Okay. I was, I was trying to figure out some sort of Ryan Johnson parallel there, but I was like, okay, got it. Speaking with the green ones. That's a new one. Yep. The um, But Yeah. You've seen this already, right? Yeah, I saw yeah, exactly. I saw Glass Onion. I'm pretty sure last episode we did. I I had seen it. And, you talked about it a little bit, but now we, we talked about it for a minute. Spoilers. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Spoilers for Glass Onion. If you want to talk about it for a couple minutes, I don't know how much we really need to say. It's good. It's pretty predictable. Um, sure. I think it was fun. I definitely do not think it is revelatory as much as like the first one. Um, there are some fun little bit players, but I think you know we were we were talking about this weekend with Grayson because he's also seen it. The cast in the first one is just immaculate it's, it's like insane how many crazy like big crazy. people they got for it um like even down to just like don johnson only being oh, in the movie awesome. for like 10 minutes yeah max von uh, sidow dude in the first oh my god yeah i mean this this that's christopher Plummer actually right? oh shit sorry christopher Chris, sorry disrespect to christopher Plummer. <laughs> i was thinking back i was like was he in it and i was like he's in the force <laughs> awakens uh at the mixed up different star wars it happens the power of christ compels you um but yeah, no, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I think, I think Ed Norton. It's so, it's like so obvious that he's a fucking creep as soon as you show up there. Yeah. But there's some funny like Ryan Johnson isms, and then there are other things where I'm just like, I'm like, all right, cool, yeah, this is a little tropey, but I'm enjoying myself. I think Janelle sure. Monae and and Daniel Craig obviously uh, steal the show, the two of For them. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Benoit Blanc is he the new Sherlock Holmes of our time? We'll see. I'd watch him in. You want, I'd watch him in more movies. I mean, they're planning like three more, right, or something like that. He wants to make like a yeah, saga. Yeah, it's gonna be like a whole like universe. Yeah, I mean, what's the dream? Like Benoit Block meets 
Batman. Like they they have to like oh solve God. a case together. It's part of James Gunn's new DCU is the Benoit Blanc Batman crossover. Coming movie. coming in 2027, we have, we have the the Dark Knight meets Benoit Blanc. Bats yeah. out. Um, yeah no i i mean reflecting on it i don't know how much i said when i reviewed it the last episode but it's good it's really entertaining it's really fun if you have a netflix subscription it's a no-brainer give it a watch it's a fun weekend watch a wind down weekday watch or whatever it's it's really good it's not it's not as good as the first one but it's it's really entertaining the cast is really good the writing is is interesting some of the humor works for me some of it just absolutely doesn't um but i think that that's ryan johnson for me as well i just think that he's not He's hit or miss for me on on some of his stuff, which is really good. He's just one of the most fascinating creative individuals in Hollywood because yeah. he's di- he's directed some of the the best stuff I've ever seen in my life with Breaking Bad, and then he directed <laughs> um, fucking some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life, which is certain scenes of Last Jedi. So uh-huh. it's it's really frustrating. I, I I I like him a lot. I I feel like I wish he, he I've seen other reviewers say this, but I wish that he would like maybe get like a writing partner or something like that. Like someone to kind of like check him on some of his stuff. Cause he just has some things he where I a just producing think he partner, goes, but yeah, sure. Yeah. But no, it's really, really good. Um, it's really funny though, to see how all over the map people are with this movie. I talked to some people that like hated it. Some people that loved it. Paul says it's one of his five favorite movies of last year. Jesus. Oh, last year. I thought you meant like all time. I was supposed to be like, Oh Jesus. no, no, no. Check last your boy. <laughs> but think about it. I was think about um, how good last year was for movies. Yeah. Batman, everything everywhere, Banshees, the uh Barbarian, yeah. fucking Nope. Like there's so many yeah. good movies of last year. I I wouldn't even put this anywhere close to my top. 10 no, and and we didn't on our end of the year pod. So, yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. Oh, well. Glass Onion. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um yeah, I had a great time. I was completely completely dumbfounded for like most of it until i started to to come out of the woods and then i was like okay <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> i was like all right when's this wrapping up it's time for me to go to bed ryan all right well i just took a sip because i'm going to talk about three movies that i've seen that you haven't correct correct i haven't seen any of these okay well this is going to be um this segment is going to be called zach uh pitches zach's john a couple art. movies zach's uh what's what what's a cinephile yeah Zach's a cinephile. So um, the Oscars were announced. We'll talk about them later, but I've been slowly working through the Best Picture nominees. I want to watch all of them. Um, certain ones are more excited about others. I'm really not looking for Well, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But um, I knocked out a few movies, one of them which is a Best Picture nom, and then two that that didn't get any noms, um, yeah. which is frustrating no. to me, to say the least. Not at all. Um, but I'm going to start here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something crazy and go from, um, movie. I enjoyed the most to movie. I, I enjoyed the least and talk about each one of these three. So looking at those movies, which movie would you guess that I'm going to start talking about first in terms of the movie? I like the most. The menu. You're absolutely right. The menu goes first. And I know that you see Anya Taylor-Joy, you click yes. So I'm a simple man. (laughs) I'm a simple man. I see Anya Taylor-Joy, I I think. (laughs) I've been Um, wanting to see this, actually. It's fantastic, man. This is one out of the three that even though I'm going to let you do all your sales pitching, that's the one that I would watch like right now if I had to go watch one. And it's such an easy watch, too. This is a movie that I'd recommend to basically everyone. I think the only people that I might not – that might not really jive with this movie are – 
if you're at, at if dark comedy and like some like minor violence or blood doesn't sit with you, you probably won't enjoy this. There, but it's not even that gruesome. Um, it's just a really excellent dark comedy. Like, um, stay away, stay as far away from the premise as possible. Like, if you don't know anything about this movie, it is so much better going in completely blind. Um, do you know anything? Do you know that? Okay, good. Yeah. So. No. Follow John. I just I thought it was supposed to be like uh, like creepier Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, I mean the elevator pitch is. Um, How would Tommy Buffett do in the menu? <laughs> oh my God! Can you? I want you to watch this movie so bad because there's so, uh, there's a specific scene that I'm thinking of where I'm like Tommy Buffett would fit perfectly right here. Um, <laughs> Voldemort's no. just like here's my friend Tommy. <laughs> What's up, Moldy Voldy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's excellent. I mean, it's on HBO Max right now, so if you subscribe to HBO Max, this is a no-brainer as well. Uh, it had a limited theatrical re- release. This would have been a really fun movie to see in theaters, especially with a good crowd, like a peop- because it is legitimately funny. There were multiple moments I sat on the couch watching this by myself where I just like was laughing hysterically. Um, <laughs> nice, like it, a psycho. Yeah, like a psycho. It scratched oh, a very okay. specific itch for me too. Like, um, Okay. I don't know how to describe it. The movie is – it is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen contained in one single location. It it looks better than – not to say it looks – this is going to sound like an insult. I found myself more engaged with the environmental storytelling in this than I did with something like Hateful Eight, which takes place all in that like haberdashery or whatever. The cabin, yeah. The cabin. This movie takes place basically all in a kitchen and a dining room, but somehow – the way that the movie looks is like it is breathtaking to look at. The close-ups, the like, the camera work is really great, and all the acting is fantastic. Shout out to fucking John Leguizamo. He is amazing oh, in this yeah. movie. Um, like he's so 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 funny. Um, Nicholas Holt is awesome in this, but and Anya Taylor Joy. I mean, what else needs to be? I have a huge crush on Anya Taylor Joy, but oh, um, yeah, sure, she's, she's a fantastic. Nicholas Holt, that's the beast, right? Yeah, that is the beast. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Hank po- Hank Pym or whatever. Hank, Hank Hank Azaria. Keep going. Nope. Still haven't got it yet. Hank, Hank Williams. <laughs> Hank <laughs> I'll never get out of this world. <laughs> Directed by uh, Mark Mylod. Yeah, this dude has not done really like anything of super significant note, at least as far as Succession, I can. Succession, Game of Thrones, and Shameless. So he's a okay. TV so guy. TV. Big shout TV out guy. to Shameless. Big fan. Um. Cool. But yeah, this is a this is a must watch for me. I think that this is one of the most entertaining movies of last year. It's a shame that I didn't see it when we were doing our year in review. Um, yeah, episode. Ain't that always because, how it works? Yeah, it is. But this would have slotted pretty high toward the top. Like, I, it definitely. I think it made my top ten. I think it easily made my top ten of last year. So, really, really great. Don't look up anything about it before you see it. Watch it. Um, watch it in a dark room, like really get yourself in the mood maybe. <laughs> and here's the, here's another thing I'll Should say. Should you have snacks when you're watching it? I was going to say, I was going to say either have snacks while you're watching it or eat a big meal beforehand because you will be fucking hungry. <laughs> what's, what's the, what's, what kind of food are we talking here? Like, what should I have prepared? I like, I well, the movie food, I'm not going to spoil, but like, um, no, no, I'm saying like, what, like, should I be leaning towards like, like savory, some like like you know puff pastry action. What are we talking? I would lean savory. I would lean savory. Okay, soup. 
or like a big I bowl mean, of noodles. If you want to have a big bowl of soup before you watch this movie, go for it, man. I was thinking more like steak tartare or something like that. Oh, yeah, sure. I just got that in the freezer. I'll just throw that on the Yeah, just, got a, the griddle. just yeah. casually got a steak of tartare in my freezer. Yeah. I got a piece of salmon. I could grill up some salmon. Mm. Here we go. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. The menu, check it out. It's good. Um, also, shout out, to title, out. <laughs> shout out to title graphics. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything else but that, but there's like titles in the movie that they use oh, really cool. effectively. And uh, it is it is was it, so clever. Every single time it, it got me good, like right in my heart. Was it like uh, like the Suicide Squad in terms of like title similar. graphics? Similar, yeah. similar. Yeah, similar. So Rescuing Harley. <laughs> <laughs> Jotunheim. Yeah, it's really, really good. I highly recommend it. Um, on the Radiovania scale, I think I would land at somewhere like an 8.5 for it. I mean, it's it's high. Wow, it's it's up good. there. It's a really, really good movie. Really enjoyed it. And oh, I didn't even say Ray Fiennes. Like, holy shit, man. What a career. That guy just keeps going. Like, easily yeah, one of my favorite pretty... actors in my top five, for sure. I love that guy. Top five. Wow. He's pretty great. Yep. So Too great. So that's the menu. That's my favorite of the three movies that what I've been watching. So what what would you guess is the next one in terms of enjoyment from my favorite to least favorite? Uh, the next favorite would be Babylon. You're absolutely right. Babylon would be mm-hmm. the next best one. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're, you're a simple favorite. man. You see Brad Pitt and you click yes. Click <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I finally saw it. I finally saw Babylon. I've been putting it off for far. I felt like uh, Bilbo when he's about to put on the ring at the thing. <laughs> I was like, I put this off for far too long. And I saw it um, all three hours and whatever, 15 fucking minutes of that fucking movie. Um, yeah. It is a mess. It is an absolute mess. Um, it is chaos incarnate. It is like a dr- – it is what I imagine being on like cocaine and ecstasy at the same time would be like. Um, sure. Maybe throwing a few shots of like, about like that. yeah, yeah, and it is some Jaegermeister. Yeah, you some Jaeger in there. Yeah, Jaeger bombs. It from the start <laughs> to the end, the movie is just nonstop. Like it is, it is crazy. The performances are crazy. Everything is dialed up to eleven, and I found it like pretty exhausting, honestly. But I think that that's the point. I think that this is more like high, high meta art that Damien Chazelle is going for. And I predicted it just right. Like I, I knew that this is not a movie for everyone. I actually don't even know how much you would enjoy it. But I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's just uh, – it, it is a – much like Once Upon a Time in – it's going to be compared almost one-to-one with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a similar vibe. It even fucking has Brad Pitt in it. But where and Once Margot Upon a Robbie. Time – And Margot Robbie, yeah. Where Once Upon a Time – Two out of the three. Where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was was it seemed to be more constructed by Quentin Tarantino to be more of a okay so here's this decade here's this time period in Hollywood that I really really liked it's like the the action movie the 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 beginning of the movie star Sharon Tate the Manson family like this whole that specific era and like the changing to like a more modern era this movie is that exact same that exact same concept it's almost like. Damien Chazelle probably had this script working for a long time and then saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and was like, God damn it. Like, (laughs) God damn it. I had the exact same idea. And um, I think that had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood not come out, people would have appreciated this more. um, Because if you had never seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think this movie would be such a unique and fresh concept. And unfortunately, it's just not anymore. But where the concept is not as unique, I think what you can appreciate are the performances, which I think are really, really good. Um, all three of the leads, like 
they're all fantastic. The the lead actor, I'm going to butcher his name, so would you look up the the cast of Babylon for me so sure. I don't have to hold my phone or whatever, but um, it's Margot Robbie who gives a 10 out of 10 performance. There is one scene in this movie, two scenes actually, and I'm going to slightly spoil one for you real quick because it's it's really powerful, but it doesn't really matter for the plot. Um, Margot Robbie gives one of the best performances, maybe her best performance that I've ever seen her give on in a film. Um, and there's a scene where she wants to be a star. She's an up and coming star. She's based on like she's based on an actress from way back when in the silent era. And uh, there's a whole scene where she comes on set and they want her to do a scene where she um, she cries on demand. And watching her perform in that moment and watching that scene play out gave me like fucking goosebumps because she is wow. just so charismatic on screen and so fun to watch. Um, yeah, she's because, awesome. Yeah, there's a moment where she's like she's sobbing in the scene and there's like this dramatic music or whatever. And then the camera guy's like and cut or whatever and then she like snaps back and she's like how the fuck was that how was that is that everything good or whatever and she immediately changes back to margot robbie and it's it's amazing um brad pitt's really good in the movie underutilized but still really really good um which i think is going to be a big problem for you is that brad pitt is not in this yeah. movie put him in the front <laughs> when he's in it he's great uh there's also another, it's really frustrating it, this because there is a there's a scene similar to the leo drunk in his trailer scene um <laughs> in this movie but it's with brad pitt <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um and then did you get the lead the the other guy the uh he's diego like Calvo. diego yeah thank you so much he is great relatively unknown i've not seen him in anything that i can pinpoint um but he gives a fantastic performance, um, really emotional, really, really energetic performance. I think he's he's got something special. Like he's if, a yeah. uh, Hispanic actor, so this this is probably an earlier, um, you know, major Hollywood flick, for sure. That's cool though. But yeah, really, really enjoyed Babylon. I think it is so worth a watch when it comes to on demand. You may not love it, but I think that it is definitely worth experiencing. Um, this and is I would the just, new. This is the new. I'll watch it if you watch The Irishman because the, they're oh almost god. similar lengths. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really good. If you appreciate film, I think that it is worth a watch. And if you've liked any of Damien Chazelle's previous work, I think you will at least get some enjoyment out of this. It's just one I of those really, cases of really, really appreciate two of his previous works, and then I have one of his previous works that I don't like. Yeah. So we'll just yeah, see if it falls thing. in between those. And I think that it will for most people. And I think that that's the most frustrating thing is that now it's like, is Damien Chazelle kind of not? Did he peak? Like, did he peak? I think he might have peaked. But um, for me personally, I really like this movie. I'd watch more. Like this This definitely didn't leave. When I left First Man, I was like, okay. But leaving this, I was like, I felt like yeah. an energy in my body. And it was an energy that's kind of hard to explain. Um, Who did he break up with when he wrote La La Land? Was that Greta Grunberg? I have no idea. Actually, maybe they need to get back together and break up again, so that he can he can get his mojo back. He can make a lot of land too. She's about to dunk on him this year with fucking Barbie, and it's with the same actress too. God, what a sick. what a couple years Margot Robbie's having. If Barbie is good, holy shit. Yeah, she's... and then if she still stays on as Harley Quinn, it's gonna be nuts. She's yeah. gonna keep riding that shit. So. Babylon, give it a watch. Uh, I really recommend it. I think that you'll enjoy it. I honestly think that you could watch it on streaming and break it up into two. Like it, it you could just literally split it down the middle and you would enjoy it just as much as I think yeah. I did seeing the whole thing all the way through from start to finish. But um, the last thing before I move on to the final one really quickly, I'll touch on it. Um, the last five minutes of Babylon is the most insane thing I've ever seen in a movie. 
um, ever. And, and you've seen uh, you've seen Deliverance, right? I've seen Deliverance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is the most insane decision I've ever seen in a movie, and uh, it was bold to say the least. I don't know if I necessarily loved the way that they handled it, but I would love to hear what you thought about it just to see the like last a, five minutes. Is this like a blazing saddles, like breaking the fourth wall kind of deal? Yes. Like, yep. Yeah. It is exactly like that, but the uh-huh. way that they go about doing it is unreal. I've never seen a movie do something like this before, and I was, I was like, when the credits start rolling, I was like, fuck. Well, I, I might not have loved that, but that was pretty impressive. So, <laughs> I'll check it out. Yeah, someday. good on you, Chazelle. I'm sure it's coming to, it's got to be coming to HBO Max soon. That movie bombed so hard in the theater that fucking Oppenheimer's getting jealous. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Zing. that's a great that's a good Thanks. joke you gotta use that more this year <laughs> i thought about tw- i thought about tweeting that but i was like i don't know i don't need to get canceled i don't know no. <laughs> nuclear bomb jokes are still kind of iffy <laughs> <laughs> it's in poor uh it's in poor taste a little bit oh gosh all right cool and then the last one fablemans i watched it this is the only one of these three that was on a base uh, best picture nomination the steven spielberg movie about his life yep. i thought this was like the most aggressively okay movie i think i've ever seen um <laughs> It is. Is it, really, is it better than uh, the Lost World, his Jurassic Park sequel? Yes, <laughs> it is better than the right. Lost World. Well, that's good. Is it better than Crystal Skull? Yes, it's better than Crystal Skull. Right. He still got it. <laughs> still got it. Good old Spielberg. No, it it is a it is a very well made movie. I bought it on Vudu because it, there it's not streaming anywhere. So I paid twenty bucks to see it, and I own it now. So I've got it. If you ever want to check it out. Um, yeah, because I don't know if it's coming to streaming anytime soon. It is really, really well done. Paul Dano steals the show. He's awesome as his dad. Um, if you are just, <laughs> please do not lie. Uh, he's had, he had a year then too, huh? He did have a year, yeah. Um, it's really good. I just how's Michelle Williams? Michelle Williams is awesome too. Actually, she she and Paul Dano probably steal the show. If I'm being honest, like the both yeah. of them, like their tag team duo. Um, the movie is like gut wrenching. Like there's some moments that really like hit me emotionally sure, hard. Very sad. I've never seen a movie with Michelle Williams that I wasn't like moved to tears at some point. Last movie I saw her in was Man See, still I'm never I've never been the same ever since I saw that movie. <laughs> Actually, no wait, the last movie I saw her in was Venom, and I also haven't been the oh same my God. since I saw that movie. <laughs> Forgot she was in Venom. Oh my God. Venom. Yeah, you that's a study. You want to watch two movies? You do a double feature of Venom and then Fablemans, and just watch how a good director can t- get a good performance out of someone. That's a good Holy idea. Shit. Yeah, um, good idea. I'm not doing that. No, yeah, this is uh, this. I I'm. We'll talk about it when we get to the Oscars. But this is like prime Green Book territory right here. Is the Spielberg <laughs> movie about his life ends up being the one that most Oscar pickers will pick because it's like generally really well made and inoffensive i just didn't find myself blown away by it and i found the ending incredibly frustrating um it ends in the moment where i think the movie i really wanted to know more about his life and it and is it that, becoming a director yes the whole movie is more of a family drama which is fine a biopic. It, yeah it's not a biopic it, it is a more about like the people in spielberg's life that made him who he was and influenced his decisions going forward in life than it is about Steven Spielberg as a kid, like finding the love of film. There's like 10 minutes of the movie that they talk about his interest in in movies and making movies, but the rest of it really is like 
it's your pretty standard like coming of age divorce trauma yeah divorce yeah. trauma and that to me was just a little bit surprising um but i did talk to a coworker of mine a uh, really good guy shout out to patrick i don't think he's listening because i don't know if i told him about this podcast yet but i probably should what up patrick get up patrick um he went to school to study film and he directed a, a no budget movie for college and he said it was his favorite movie of last year and gave it like a five out of five stars. And I'm pretty sure when he, I asked him what he thought about the movie, he told me he would if if he could watch this movie once a week for the rest of his life, he would die a happy person. Oh, my God. And so I was like, wow, like I really appreciate – that's the power of movies, man, is that everyone can have a different opinion on fucking everything. But huh. I, I just I, – you know, it didn't – it did not click with me the way that I really wanted it to because – you know me, I'm a sucker for movies about movies. I liked Babylon. I loved La La Land's one of my sure. favorite movies of all time. A lot of so movies like, about movies going around these days. I love movies about movies. And so um it was it was a bit of a bummer to me that Fableman's kind of fell short. Um, can I guess where the movie ends? Uh sure. I mean, do you yeah. want me to like Young Stevie Spielberg? He you know, he's he's getting ready to work on his first feature and he goes to like a bookstore. And he sees a book on the shelf It's that says Jaws. And he's like, maybe I'll give this a read. And then it's like, <laughs> hello, my baby. Or is it <laughs> he dances off on the Warner Brothers lot? Uh, you're not uh, you're not close. Oh, damn. So you're not no, close. There's no there's no George Lucas in this movie. At all. Here's. Hey, Stephen, what are you? Uh, are you sad about your parents splitting up? <laughs> what if I told you about this universe that I've created in my mind? I think your mother's really attractive. I'd like to, if it wouldn't be, un- if it would be okay with you, I'd like to take her out on a date sometime. He's, he's like, his name, his name is Jar Jar Binks, and oh, uh, yeah. what you don't know is that he's really the hero of the whole thing. Yeah. Um. No, you're you're not. You, I mean, you're pretty. You're 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 not in the right ballpark. But I will say, it, um, you're not the a single. <laughs> there is not a single um reference to anything creative that Spielberg ended up doing. Well, yeah, I don't think they can do it, right? Because all of his movies have been made by various different production companies of which they wouldn't be able to name. They wouldn't be able to name it, but there's not even a reference to like an idea or a concept. Like I I was expecting at one point him to be, do say something along the lines of like a Jaws, how easy is Jaws? Or how easy is even fucking something like, uh, goddamn Jurassic Park. Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Like, or, you know, you you could do something like that where you could reference the fact like, oh, I have this idea. They don't even... They don't even mess with any of that stuff. It really isn't about his passion for movies. It's more about like how the people, how his family really affected his 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 life. And so, do they explain who the Fablemans are? Oh, I mean, it's them. That's their name. Yeah, the name of the family is the oh, Fablemans. I thought so it was it's like, like an idea. Da- you know. No, what I mean? the, <laughs> His dad is like Mr. Fableman. Mr. I'm Fableman? Sure. Yeah, it's Mr. Fableman. Okay. But it's like um Spiderman. Ms. Joel Speederman. He he grew up Jew- <laughs> he he grew up Jewish. And so right. Fableman is yeah. like I mean, like they use that name in the movie or whatever, but it touches on the fact that like a lot of the kids that he went to school with were pretty anti Semitic and like uh, um gotcha. but like the Fableman's moniker ends up being like I mean it's kind of like it's pretty it's a that's kind of a poignant, cool like thing to include is like you know, like Jewish heritage. Yeah, Jewish heritage, yeah, but also sure. in the fact that like that name also like it that name feels very traditional, but it also has like what you said, like you I mean it was a joke, whatever, or like it felt like a joke, but like it has a more lofty 
air to it. Like it sounds like that, it these sounded, great storytellers like, or something like that. It seemed like, like you know? whimsical to me, like almost sure. like the oracles or the fates or something. So that's what I was wondering. But I probably just sounded like an anti-Semite, which I'm not. No, you know, you didn't. I, but okay. I think that that's what he was going for. Like, how do you pick a name that sounds traditional her- heritage, like that carries like a traditional heritage sound to it, but also talks about like, you know, you all you immediately get a sense of like what this is like. It's a story about people that tell stories and it, it, I don't know, it, it feels very natural. This movie, it's a good movie. I mean, like I, I enjoyed it. I would give it like a seven, five, seven, seven, five. I just uh, I maybe and maybe it was a case of expectations, too, is because like this. My coworker was like, D- if you went into the movie not thinking that it was going to be more of a story about his like rise, like about him as a filmmaker, would you have enjoyed it more? And I was like, yeah. you're probably right. I might have. Yeah. So. And as we know, if you hype something up too much, Zach will ultimately not agree with you. So you have to make sure that he discovers it on his own. <laughs> but was this movie even like hyped up? I don't know if it was hyped up. It's just, no, I'm just, I'm just making a movie about himself. I'm just fucking with you. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, you might be true, but should we make a parody of it called The Buffets? The Buffets. <laughs> Someday I'm gonna be on TV. <laughs> He's like born in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> like he comes out of the womb with a Hawaiian shirt and a fucking like spatula and a stick fucking of butter. Stogie. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I'm glad you got to see these movies. Thanks for educating me. Um, I will probably watch them down the road. Yeah, I think that at least um, you should give the menu and Babylon a shot. Um, the Fablemans, I think you could give it or take it, but it's it's surprising to me that there's a Spielberg movie out about Spielberg that not everyone is talking about. You know, yeah, like that's kind sure. of a that's kind of a weird phenomenon. That's not that wasn't on my bingo card for 2023. So, no. Nevertheless, here we are. Say la vie. Say la vie. Uh, I'm gonna take a quick break and then we'll be back with the news flashpoint. <laughs> I feel like I got a little bit of a hoarse throat. I think you sound great, but we both sound a little throaty. Nothing wrong with being a little throaty. Yeah. I think it's probably because we were sucking each other's dicks too much this weekend. <laughs> and we're going to take a quick trip to the news flash point. <laughs> that, was, that was like the most low energy middle of the day you've ever done. No, I've had worse. I, I, I have... I'm pretty sure one time I was like, John, let's go to the news flashpoint. And you were like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I just want a soundboard. Let's get a soundboard. I shouldn't have we to should... work this much. I'm not getting paid. Yeah, we should get a soundboard. Okay, so we're going to rip through the news. Uh, but before uh, – and we're going to jump through these news stories because I know we got a lot to talk about. But first – uh, A24 shared the first trailer for Bo is Afraid, the new mm. film from Ari Aster, uh, yeah. the devilish genius behind Midsommar and Hereditary. Yeah. Uh, the movie stars Joaquin Phoenix. It releases in theaters later this year. Uh, and this trailer is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you Dude, think about this? I'm really excited to see this. I, I've enjoyed both of his films, if you can call that enjoying them. Um, I think they're really obviously very artfully and and um competently made and i i thoroughly will never forget seeing either of those movies for the first time and i'm hoping that this is a similar kind of feeling in the same way that like seeing each of the jordan peele movies for the first time has been you know what i mean i think that's the most apt comparison i could make in terms of a filmmaker but with a little more fucked up energy less less mystical yeah Uh, i think this one's gonna have some like weird like truman show type energy you know 
Yeah, I, Truman Show type energy. A lot of people are calling out that this this trailer is kind of giving like, and I think it might be even tongue in cheek, but it's getting, I'm getting like Walter Mitty vibes, mm. like sinister Walter Mitty. Like the whole movie, the whole trailer is very like, there's this hopeful music sort of playing the whole time. And it's, but it's set against the backdrop of this whole fucked up thing. Like you got Joaquin Phoenix, like getting hit by cars and like held captive in these people's houses. And he's going yeah. on like a fucking acid trip and he's rapidly aging and turning into different people. The whole movie seems like this is like Ari Aster is like daring you to take mushrooms and go watch this movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not the first. Oh God, that's where it gets fucking creepy. It's fucking terrifying, dude. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that this is just a really, really excellently made trailer. Like it, it doesn't tell you virtually anything about what nope. the movie's plot is. It just kind of is a tone piece for the whole thing. And visually speaking, it is just stunning to look at. Like yeah, all of sure. the set design and the color grading of the movie is really beautiful. Um, and I'm just a huge Joaquin. Fe- I think I'm a huge Joaquin Phoenix fan. I really, I really yeah, for do, sure. He's I, great. I think he's just fabulous. And I think that whatever role he's in, he really just full, like totally falls into and, and embodies. I think Bo is afraid is also just a really good title. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's yeah. It's a good, it's a good title. It's not as good as what the movie was originally titled when the screenplay leaked, which you know what it's called. Disappointment Boulevard is such a, in my opinion, a way better title. (laughs) You don't think they changed it because of nightmare alley. That's a good point. I didn't even think about Nightmare Alley. But at this point, like who like, you know, that movie was really good. But like, is anyone going to really draw that comparison? Disapp- I, I Guillermo del Toro. He's like, God damn it. <laughs> he's like, we're going Pinocchio. Like, Ariasta, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you fucking idiot. You. You steal my you. Titles. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm really excited. Bo's Afraid comes out April, um, April 21st, 2023. So the week before my birthday. So I'm going to spend my birthday getting all sad and existential, baby. Let's fucking go, Ari Aster. We'll shoot together. It. I'll be back from the UK by then. So we can we can be terrified uh, yeah. together. Yeah, I'm um, excited. Uh, I, are you more I of read, a Midsummer or Hereditary guy? I like Hereditary better. I think Hereditary is just a way cool. I, I like that version of his horror better. I think Midsummer is an interesting – is a more interesting concept than it is me enjoying watching that movie. Uh, it's pretty – it's pretty uh, miserable really to watch. I yeah. At least Hereditary is like, you know, there's like a mystery to it too. Like Midsummer is just kind of like let's watch bad things happen to these people for a while. Hereditary mm-hmm. has like a little bit more of like a – I like the demon angle. I like the 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 – Can we sound clip that? I like the demon like, angle. <laughs> sure, we can add that to the sound clip. I, think I like I was the cold then. angle of Midsummer. I'm more of a Midsummer guy but also I'm, I'm ride or die for my girl Flo. So shout sure, out. Sure, yeah. If you're listening – Apparently she's coming out with a uh, music. Did you know that Florence Pugh is a musician? She's apparently coming out with like a record this year or something. What can't she do, man? I mean, that doesn't surprise me at she all. She can't go on a date with me. That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, immediately ask her about Don't Worry Darling. Immediately. <laughs> like, thank you so much for meeting me for dinner. So beans. tell me about that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing this for sure. Bo is Afraid. Check it out. It's coming to theaters soon. Uh, next up, let's knock out some Avatar news. So not only did Avatar pass 2 billion worldwide, uh, this was from January 22nd from Deadline. They reported 
that uh, it's official. The Way of Water has become the sixth movie ever to cross the two billion mark worldwide. It's also uh, James Cameron's third movie to hit the milestone along with Titanic and the original Avatar. So old Jimmy Cameron fucking raking in the dough. Big Jim. The problem, you know, the problem for me is that my all my favorite James Cameron movies haven't passed two billion. <sighs> movies on Terminator. Aliens. Aliens. Aliens, T2, First Terminator, True Lies. I mean, shit, I'd even take Abyss over Titanic. Yeah. Don't at me. (laughs) Don't at me. Um, And then the other thing, too, is that um, not only did it become the fifth highest grossing movie ever worldwide, it just eclipsed uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. So it's $2.75 billion, and it just passed Force Awakens. So it's profitable, Um, according to Big Jim. He did it. Apparently, He's, yeah. The movie needed to what make $2 billion. What can that guy do so. besides keep a marriage with Catherine Bigelow? <laughs> um, one of the funniest comments I saw online, so this is not original Zach content, but apparently – and I didn't bring this news story up, but apparently – um, James Cameron gave an interview recently where in the third movie he's going to introduce a Navi that's like fire oriented and someone someone was like the Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbenders people are like sweating over there they're like getting ready to file a lawsuit <laughs> so that's amazing <laughs> yeah um, yeah Avatar still God, making money go to the volcano crazy. people have you seen it yet I have not seen it and we'll uh, talk about that when we get to the Oscars but okay. uh, it's only streaming it. So I have no way to watch it except for – or it's only in theaters. So I have no way to watch it except for buying a movie ticket. And I am still just not ready. And, you're and just I just got to find somebody to go with you. You know what well, I mean? It's, you're never going to go by yourself. And he, But here's the thing is that you're going to be upset with me. I had the opportunity last weekend. Paul and Jen called me, and they were like, hey, by the way, we're going to see Avatar tonight. We wanted to know if you wanted to come. And mm. I was like, no, I don't. Wow. My friends, my actual friends invited That's... me to go see a movie, and I told them no because I just didn't want to sit in the theater for three hours and see this movie. So That's amazing. This is going to be a real hard one for me. I just don't have any desire to see it. I, do, I don't know. You've got to see it, though. It's literally – it's that's our job. That's what this podcast is job. built on is to consume <laughs> pop culture, and you are neglecting one of the biggest movies of all time see, because you don't like it. This is how I feel sometimes when you're like, oh, I don't care. I'm not going to get to it. I'm like, this is your job. <laughs> no, you created this pod. I'm just the fucking chucklehead that you bring on to have a dance, good laugh. <laughs> dance. Go see Babylon. Dance. <laughs> and you're like, why don't you go see Avatar's Way of Water? I'm, I'm like, like in Pinocchio when he's working for the, uh, what's his name? Stromboli. I'm, like, I'm out there. You're Stromboli. no streaks to beat. <laughs> oh god that should be our halloween costume this year man we should be strumbling <laughs> funny oh god okay drink that shot boy <laughs> <laughs> well anyway i've seen avatar the way of water i didn't think it was terrible i definitely don't even think i like it as much as the first one but it is it is a spectacle and i would say that it is worth seeing at least once on a big screen particularly to see all the stuff that they filmed in the tank it is pretty impressive with how realistic it looks, but there are also parts of that movie that I'm just like, why is this not over? Best picture, best picture nominee. That bothers me. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, the Batman was robbed. <laughs> absolutely robbed. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit when we get to it. But okay, keep it on trucking because we got the big stuff to get to still. Um, 
we got to talk about what's going, what is going on with Justin Roiland and oh, geez, Adult, Rick, Adult I don't Swim. Know, I don't. What do I know about what's going on over in the Adult Swim world? Oh, oh. So yeah, this broke on the 24th um, of January, 2023. Deadline reports. Uh, Justin Roiland, the co-creator, executive producer of Star Adult Swim's flagship animated series Rick and Morty, is no longer in business with the Warner Brothers Discovery brand on the heel of pretty serious domestic violence allegations against him coming to light earlier this month. Um, quote, Adult Swim has ended its association with Justin Roiland, a spokesperson said in a statement Tuesday. Uh, follow, following Roiland's exit, Rick and Morty will continue, they announced, with the title roles, which had been voiced by Roiland, recast. Uh, co-created by Royland and Dan Harmon, the hit series received massive 70-episode order in 2018 when Adult Swim also signed the new long-term deals with Royland and Harmon. The show, which has been renewed through season 10, has completed six seasons with four more to go as part of the pickup. Yeah. Uh, Royland is also co-creator, executive producer for Hulu's animated series Solar Opposites, as well as a performer on the streamer's animated comedy Koala Man, which I have never fucking heard of. Uh, News of his involvement in those shows would be coming shortly. Uh, this source has heard. I mean, Hulu, Hulu's Disney. There's no way they're going to keep that going. So Doubt it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Royland has been charged with one felony count of domestic battery with corporal injury and one felony count of false imprisonment by menace, violence, fraud, and or deceit by the Orange County District Attorney's Office. The yeah. incident in question against a Jane Doe allegedly occurred in January 2020, according to a May 2020 complaint. He pleaded not guilty to the charges in October, and the semi-sealed case was kept out of the public until a hearing on January 12, 2023. Royland, who was also present, is also required to attend a scheduled April 27th hearing. So that's going to be coming up soon. Uh, there's no trial date, uh, but Roiland could face up to seven years in prison if he's convicted. Um, Roiland's attorney made a statement, said it insisted his client is innocent, noting that, quote, we also have every expectation that this matter is on course to be dismissed once the district attorney's office has completed its methodical review of the evidence. End quote. Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan Swansonathan, you are a – you and Uncle Cal are huge Rick and Morty fans. Um, yeah. This is uh, this is no doubt a, a pretty uh, difficult thing to kind of dissect, you know. Yeah, because I run the risk of sounding like a really bad person when I'm like I'm really bummed that he's not going to be able to voice a fucking cartoon character anymore. But like, it's his show. Like, I know him and Dan Harmon co-created it, but he's the voice of Rick and Morty. <laughs> like, that's. You know, I attributed it to the same thing as like going under surgery to have your entire spine removed and then you're just supposed to be able to walk afterwards. Like, I don't really know how they plan to recast things going forward or if they're going to try to use that thing they do for Darth Vader where they do like a re-speecher if they even have the opportunity to do that. I doubt it. These are really serious allegations, really serious. So I don't want to make any light of that. It's some pretty terrifying sounding stuff. I will play devil's advocate for a second. What if this is like a Johnny Depp type situation and it turns out that he's actually not guilty and then he got fired? Well, I mean, we're we live in a society. I mean, yeah, we live in a society. Uh, we live in a society. We, you know, the world is in an interesting place right now, um, as it has been for the last five, ten years with, you know, allegations against people and cancel culture and stuff like that. And we're not here to even talk about that kind of stuff because that's not our job on this podcast. We're here to just talk about movies and entertainment. Talk about but the news. 
what I will say is that, you know, you know, as a society, we do believe in the whole innocent until proven guilty sort of thing. This is an ongoing investigation. Anything could happen. Anything could change. You're absolutely right with bringing up the whole Johnny Depp thing where the court did decide in favor of, you know, Johnny Depp. And I mean, like they both ended up having to pay quite a bit of money, both of them for like emotional abuse and damage and stuff like that. And there was wrongdoing. I'm not gonna, like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a wild guess and say there's wrongdoing in this case. Yes. Whether definitely. it's a hundred percent, you know, his signing or whatever, it really frustrates me because I, I really did, uh, you know, it, it sucks because like, it's a it's a never meet your heroes thing. Like I, I I'm not even the biggest fan of Justin Roiland or Rick and Morty. Like I think Rick and Morty was awesome. The first four seasons, three seasons, some of the best comedy ever. Mm-hmm. I haven't enjoyed the last two seasons as much as I did the first few, but um, undoubtedly just a show that absolutely like um, changed the game in terms of animated comedy. Like n- nothing yeah. really has been like Rick and Morty since Family Guy. Um, yeah, or like early Family Guy. Yeah. Early Family Guy, but even that shit fell off a cliff faster than fucking early like Simpsons. A, early yeah. Simpsons, yeah. So I don't know with how many, you know, it's just a, it, it's it's sad to think about because like to me this seems like it's like I texted you guys when I saw the news break and I was like end of an era. Like it really just you know I don't well, really it, sh- know. it should be the end if they're not gonna if they're not gonna have him on board. I don't think you need to be making anymore. You know what I mean? Like if I know they, I. I know they have to, right? Because they signed a contract or whatever. But like, it's that's, it, yeah. You don't you don't need to do it. But think of so yeah, I'm on, I'm of two minds here. Like it's like think about the people that are the creatives on this show that aren't Justin Roiland, that are the the animators, the people that are like in the writers' room and the directors of these episodes. Like, they want to see their show continue. They're probably just as furious as anybody that like their lead, their bread and butter for this show, the the yeah. voice that everybody knows is that, like sure could potentially be a scumbag. So it's like maybe they have a genius. If anyone could pull off recasting Rick and Morty and making that a joke of some kind, I would maybe think that Rick and Morty, the the writing team could end up pulling that off. Um, it's just how do you do it? It's not going to be the same. And that's why I say like, even if they keep going, it's an end of an era. It's just like, you know, Rick and Morty was a huge cultural phenomenon, and I don't, I don't think that that will ever change. It's just, you know, what it was is never going to be what it, what it is going to be is never going to be what it was, and you can't change that yeah. now. There's no going back. We're through the looking glass, so it's just now a matter of, you know, I'm actually honestly super curious to see what they do and how they handle the situation going forward. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. Um, Again, like hopefully if if they go with something that doesn't sound anything like Rick and Morty, hopefully they make a joke of it, you know, or if they restructure the show. I don't know. They are some smart people. You're right. We should give them a little more credit in in being able to pick them up from where it's going. And Dan Harmon is a big part of the show. So hopefully him being on board, that can continue. I mean, wasn't he almost me too like a couple years ago too? Like. I'm pretty sure Dan Harmon isn't. Isn't Dan Harmon not a part of this anymore? Because didn't he have some pretty serious allegations against him? No, he's still there. He's yeah. still there. So he then. just didn't. He didn't. I don't think it was. He was found guilty, or if he did, he just had to pay some fines. Okay. Nothing as so serious then. as as domestic battery and false imprisonment or anything like that. That's yeah. So crazy stuff. It is pretty crazy stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I I can't say for sure. I don't know exactly how it's gonna shake out, but um. We'll see. I, I I sent you I sent you in Cal an image that just made me absolutely cackle to my core, <laughs> which is Chris Pratt on the phone, like out of With context. Someone was like, 
hey, Chris, this is your agent. Have you ever heard of Rick and Morty? And it's like, that's funny, but it's also like how f- I can see them doing something like that where they get like a For big one episode. Yeah. yeah. Or they get like a lot of people have said, like, just get fucking um, what's his name? Doc Brown. Oh, my get God. Doc, get Doc Brown. <laughs> what's what's that guy's name? Christopher, Christopher Lloyd? Lloyd. Yeah. Get Christopher Lloyd and like Michael Sarah or something. Fox. Michael J. Well, yeah, I don't know if Michael J. Fox can do an animated show. God got, you know, God save the soul. But um, can you imagine, though? Like, well, wait, how- no, they did that fake commercial. It was uh, it was Christopher Lloyd and the kid from it. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dominic, just- Dominic Gleason, right. Or something like that. Right. Or what's think- that kid's name? I don't know his name. I'll look it up. But I mean, yeah, they could do something like that. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll, this is going to be an interesting. They might just thing also find a really good impersonator too. That's the other thing too is that there's. I mean, I'm I'm on TikTok. There are no shortage of people that can do a good Rick or Morty I mean, you, impersonation. You're TikTok. looking at one of them right here. Sign me up. I'll be Morty. Oh jeez. Oh, oh, how funny oh, would it be if they had like an open casting call and you could like submit an audition tape? You should absolutely audition to be Rick or Morty. Would, you should probably audition totally to be Morty. That. I'm in. Wait, let me fucking do it. Give me a chance. Yeah. Jaden Martell, Martell is the name of that actor. The the kid from It. Mm-hmm. He was the one that played uh, young Bill Hader, right? He plays young James McAvoy. Oh, that kid. Young Bill Hader was Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard was young Bill Hader. Yep. What a great movie! It. Holy shit. The first one. Yeah. Both of them. I like both of them a lot. I like the first one a lot more, but I think the the second one definitely has its moments. I love the I love Bill Hader in that movie. I think he's hilarious. Bill Hader's amazing in It Chapter. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So is Chastain. Chastain hive we up. Yep. <laughs> Are you, is that the <laughs> is that the name of your fan group for Chastain? Chastain. <laughs> Chastain hive. Chastain hive. All right. Well, we got well, a hopefully couple. Hopefully, hopefully, you know. Hopefully we, we hear some some good news regarding the show soon. But yeah, you're right. Definitely okay. end end of the Justin Roiland era. It seems definitely seems to be that way. But what if they just center the show around like Jerry? That's the other thing that I could think that they could do really well is, is like Rick and Morty are gone. <laughs> Rick and Morty are gone, and like what does the family do? I can honestly see that being pretty funny. And then you bring in like a new like you could bring in someone else, like a different kind of character to like add a different dynamic to the family. Um, I just don't know how, I don't know how you do that, but they're, I think they're going to find some way to do it as long as they stay to their true, if they stay to the thing that they want to do 10 seasons, uh, they're going to have to figure out clever ways to write out the lead characters. And it's just like, I don't know if we've ever seen a somersault like that in fiction before. So unprecedented, but so is that show. So, yeah. So, okay. A couple bits of sad ish news that we got to talk about. Uh, I felt like it would be okay to set them in here. That way we kind of have a little bit of. A moment to kind of be a little bit retrospective, a little introspective maybe, and then we can talk about the big news stories. So uh, we don't yeah. need to spend too much time on this, but I think it's relevant to talk about. Um, Jeremy Renner uh, had a pretty horrible injury. Yeah. Um, the, he was hospitalized, uh, airlifted to a hospital in Reno a, a couple weeks ago. This, Jan- this is around the first of the year. Uh, he experienced an injury suffered during a weather-related accident while plowing snow. Um, he suffered blunt chest trauma and orthopedic injuries and undergone surgery. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure later it was revealed that he had broken like 30 bones through this thing. Um, 
and he's he's keeping it pretty close to the chest, but he's been positive about it on social media. He's been like posting a lot of, of like, yeah. you know, thank you all for like being so kind and like caring and respectful to me and like my family during this time or whatever. Sure. Um, but tough thing to watch. Like, I mean, Jeremy Renner is like, you know, he's a likable guy. I mean, like, I think it's just, you know, it sucks. It sucks to deal with something like this, like especially. I, I, but, I, you know, his career is an interesting thing to say. I mean, like at least he got to do. He was part of like the the biggest entertainment franchise in Hollywood for like many years, for a decade. Yeah. And, um, it's and cool that in, he was able he was to in do the greatest Hawkeye. bank heist movie of all time. Yeah, who's got we yep. taken? Who's got no? This is really sad. Hopefully, he pulls through and is able to have a you know decent quality of life after this. They say that he's still in sta- he's in stable care, but it's still pretty intensive treatment. So yeah, scary stuff. But I mean. He's definitely, like you said, he's had an interesting body of work thus far. I mean, he's been mostly, I feel like, active since like 2010. So I feel like he's had a really fast and furious, no pun intended, like 12 12 to 13 years. Like being in all the Marvel movies. He was in the Mission Impossible movies. They tried to reboot the Bourne movies around him. I don't know if you remember that. Um, Yeah. Bourne, uh, the Bourne Supremacy. Bourne uh, Bourne Legacy. Legacy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then he's in fantastic little films like The Town. And doesn't he have his own? He has his own Paramount Plus show, Taylor Sheridan show. That oh, yeah, that's right. Season two come out. Mayor, mayor of something. East Town, Kingstown. Some, something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we're, our best wishes go out to, to him and his family and those is who uh, are in his close proximity. Hoping, yeah. Hoping for the best. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you have to imagine, I think he was always super outspoken about, you know, he really was excited about Hawkeye and like being that character. And, you know, you have to imagine that he's been on a call with Kevin and Kevin was like, listen, buddy, like we want you to get better, but we also want you to still be a part of this thing. Like, let's think of ways that we can, you know, work you into this and like still secret wars. Yeah. Something like that. Like, I mean, like I can see this, this sounds, this isn't intended to sound morbid, but like I think the idea of Jeremy Renner being on that set after dealing with such a traumatic thing in his life could probably bring a lot of real-world emotion to that character. Yeah. Um, considering what he's meant to the franchise, he's been a part of it since Thor. So, I mean, he's he's there as far as I'm considered for as long as possible. He, his his signature is at the end of Endgame. So, um, yeah. he's an Avenger as far as I'm concerned. I, I hope that they find a way to work him in. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be a couple of them, it sounds like, that'll be taking leave of absences, whether they are being forced to or not because of ailments. I mean, isn't Chris Hemsworth stepping away from acting for a little bit, too, because of um, discovery at risk of early set Alzheimer's and wants to spend some yep. time with his family because he's been so busy making making Thor movies and such. And obviously, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans are not technically in it right now, but they will probably be asked to come back to carry some heavy... Yep. Some heavy loads. So if they haven't been asked already. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean but we'll see. All six of those motherfuckers are gonna be on screen again. You can fucking believe that. So not even I don't the care if they're mind. dead in the timeline <laughs> yet. Yeah. You can now that you've opened the multiverse thing, you can literally just do whatever you want. So Yep. And I'm sure that they will do exactly whatever they want. Um They're gonna do that they're gonna do that circle shot thing from the first Avengers one more time. So Yep. Yeah. And Zach's gonna just I'm going to cream in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Feel and better. So, yeah. recovery, Jeremy. Get better soon, Mr. <laughs> Renner. We appreciate you. Um, 
maybe uh what's her name who who's uh kate bishop what's that actress's name Haley steinfeld maybe Haley steinfeld came by the hospital gave him a nice back rub or something like that get him going get him straight <laughs> you love you, him and linda Q- linda cartellini oh man oh never mind linda cartellini yeah, stuck between two brunettes. What a what a tough, tough way I'd, to have a Disney Plus show. <laughs> I'd go to a hospital bed for Linda Cardellini if I could, you know. He's a lucky guy. His his Disney Plus show, he had Vera Farmiga, Linda Cardellini, Haley Steinfeld, and Florence Pugh just all on set. All <laughs> like his wife would be like, like, I'm, like, I'm going to be there every day. <laughs> I can't trust you to be alone on set with these beautiful, beautiful women. Yeah. Um, all right, last one, uh, and this is actually the really tough one to talk about. I'm sure yeah. we'll have, you know, uh, you know, it's it is sad. So, um, Annie uh, Worshing uh, dies, actress in 24, Bosch and Timeless. She was 25, or she, sorry, 45. 25. She was 45. Um, she was known for her roles in 24, Bosch and Timeless. Uh, she passed away from cancer earlier this morning. This was uh, written on the 29th of January. Um, She's been in a lot of stuff. She's had a lot of TV roles. She was in Picard. She was in uh, The Rookie. Yeah. Um, but for the two of us, and I think for most of our readers, she's going to be known as uh, Tess in The Last of Us. Yep. Uh, mocap voice actor for Tess in the original game. Kind of eerie that this is happening right now. The week after the character dies in the show. Spoilers. But yeah. Very so, eerie. Also just really tragic. Like. Yeah, super tragic. We found out about it during the middle of the the game, um, or like right before the game started, and it was just like a complete shock. It was it's very similar to, um, with Chadwick Boseman. I feel like this wasn't this wasn't news that was prominent, which is nice. It's also you know a really sad surprise, but it's it's probably nice that she was able to spend some time with her family without yeah you know the world bearing down upon them. So, and I mean, uh, talk about someone that's not necessarily been in, you know, not been in the limelight. Like she was kind of understated as far as I was concerned in, in Hollywood circles or whatever. Like she's been in a lot of different things, been, you know, been around, definitely had some great roles, but not like a, not like a, a star quote unquote. Right. But like character the, outpour- actor. the yeah. character actor, but the outpouring of support and like just the, the, you know, the, the well wishes and, um, you know, everyone bringing up memories and her being on set and stuff like that. Like it, it's tough. Like, and you know, imagine being Neil Druckmann or anybody of the cast of that, that game or naughty dog right now, like having to deal with like how happy you are that the last of a show is, is out and finally you've made it across the finish line, but then you have to deal with this immense piece of like, you know, just terribleness to think about. Like, I mean, 45 is, I mean, that's too fucking young. Yeah, like cancer, really cancer fucking is awful and it fucking sucks. And it's really, really depressing to think about, but, um, you know, it is, it's powerful that people have been coming around to just, you know, pushing her forward and like highlighting her role in the game. Like the amount of tests videos and shit that I've seen this past week from the gaming community has been really, really cool. Um, she's great. That character is so, she's so, so great. important to getting the game started, right? It's literally the only motivation that is able to to push through to Joel in the initial parts of the game. And, and that character is such an important, vital part of it, even though she's only in like the first first two hours or so. And it leaves behind a, a legacy, especially for us, for fans of the game, that that character is so, so important to the point that they had to go out and get, you know, a pretty big actress on a tour of and a tour of, to play her in the show. And, you know, I do think that that's a pretty 
a pretty big body of work just for us. And obviously she has a, a much larger body of work clearly by looking at everything else that she's been in. But more importantly, it's just sad that we don't, we won't be able to have her company anymore, which is just awful. Yeah. But I mean, crazy impact, a crazy legacy. You don't get the last of us HBO test without her. You don't get the last of us without her. I think that she is one of the most important parts of the early part of that game. And like her, um, we'll talk about it when we get to the when we get to uh, talking about the show. But I even think that the impact of Tess as a character is even has been even more heightened by the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so you know, she's had plenty of great roles. I'm sure that her family in 24 and you know I know a lot of people love Bosch and stuff like that. That's a yeah, that's a card too. Yeah. Yeah, and Picard. But who's a uh, uh, who's the lead in Bosch? Isn't it uh, uh, Sabretooth? Isn't that the show that I'm thinking of? What, uh, Liev Schreiber? Isn't Liev Schreiber in that in Bosch or whatever? Know, but like that was a pretty big Bosch. show for a long time, like Network TV I, and 24 and too. Ray like Donovan. That, oh, Ray Donovan's what I'm thinking of. Who is in Titus Bosch? Titus Welliver. Okay. Do you know who Titus Welliver is? Uh, vaguely, the name sounds really familiar. He's the Man in Black in Lost. Whoa. For like oh, two shit. episodes. Yeah. He's also Dino in the town. Shout out. Shout out to the town. Close the fucking bridge. Can't get through a news article without referencing the town. I think that, that makes two at this point. Um, no, uh, Annie Wershing, uh, you know, thoughts to your family and everything like that. Like, thank you so much for bringing such an awesome character to life. I don't think you, you know, everyone in that, everyone in that game, everyone on that floor, they were instrumental in making one of the most influential video games of our time. And it ended up being one of the most yep. influential stories because it's now being adapted into television. Influential pieces so. of work, period. Yep. Yeah. So definitely. it's sad, but, um, you know, definitely had to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, that ends the news flashpoint with a little bit of a tribute to her and her memory. Okay. So we're here for the next segment of the podcast, which I'm going to affectionately call Topic of the Show Overload. I don't know if you mm. got a better name for this segment here, John. Um, ooh, putting me on the spot. It'll come to me. I, I, li I like Topic Overload. Topic Overload. Def like Con I said, it's a four, Topic Overload. DEFCON 4. <laughs> DEFCON 3. <laughs> I think we got three big topics we got to cover. Um, so it's going to be a thick topic of the show. Thank you all for listening this point. I think we've been keeping it pretty brisk with the news stuffs here, so we're, we're we're doing all right so far. But we're gonna dive into the meat of the matter. This is where we get lost in the weeds. Let's be and honest. this is where we get lost in the weeds, <laughs> baby. Let's go. So I'm ready to do this with you. Um, the Last of Us, HBO. It's here. It's finally here after years of speculation, deliberation. Jerry Bruckheimer, I'm pretty sure, was attached to make this at one point. Sam Raimi was attached to direct a movie for this at one point. There rumors for years, and I'll never forget it. There rumors started almost immediately after the game came out in 2013. Um, I loved the first Last of Us game when it came out. You loved it too when you got to play it. Um, it's been a huge part of both of our lives, but also so have the rumors of the TV show, and now it is finally here, HBO. Yeah. Directing, uh, directed by Craig Mazin or produced by Craig Mazin, like he's the showrunner. Writer, he's the writer, but he's also yeah, like I'm pretty sure he's also the yeah. yeah directed a couple, but also executive producer or something like that for the show. Yeah, him and Neil uh, Druckmann are co-show running it, which is that was the first news article that I think we started a bit of relief, even though we hadn't seen anything yet, was that he was being included so prominently, unlike the Uncharted movie where they just like had him interview Tom Holland and you could tell Tom Holland never played the game. <laughs> 
So he's like, oh, it's nice to meet you, uh, Sean Druckmann. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> the thing I like about playing Peter Par- uh, Nathan Nathan Drake. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. So. Um, before we start all this off, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about video game adaptations. I'd like to wax poetic for just a moment before we talk about The Last of Us HBO. In Please, a spoiler-free, spin me, spin me a yarn. In a spoiler-free, none of this is spoilers. We will talk about spoilers here in a minute, and we'll be very clear when we start to talk about spoilers for the first three episodes of The Last of Us on HBO. Um, video game adaptations have long, long, long been travesties, absolute atrocities, a uh, a pox on the entertainment franchise in the entertainment world. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie from back in the 90s, trash. Uh, fucking all of it. It's all been bad. The, the I mean, the John claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie is hilarious, but it's been bad. Mortal Kombat, entertaining, but trash. You, you, Uncharted, Teenage we thought Man, it would. Well, that's not a video game. Never mind, sorry. Start as a comic, but or whatever. But it's like, Video game adaptations in movies and TV have long, long, long been just the laughing stock of the entertainment world where they take these video game IPs and try to translate them to movies or television, and it just fails miserably. And I think yeah. that was the narrative going into this is that for the longest time, a lot of people would say that The Last of Us is one of the best video game stories ever told. And so you need to handle it with care. And now that we're here, now that we're on the mountaintop and we're looking down upon the accomplishment, even though it's only three episodes in, I think that we can safely say now that the Last of Us show is uh, it's really good. And I it's think it's a that curse breaker. Yeah, it might. We'll see if it's the curse breaker. We got the Mario movie coming out here in a couple months. Um, yeah, but this was first. So, <laughs> yeah, this is first. It, it, it opens the door for Mario to be good. Let's just let's just go ahead and hit that on the head. Yeah, we'll see. But there's also, I mean, like that's the thing is that like the video game industry, just my my thesis statement here, video games are amazing and they tell really, really good stories. But oftentimes you need to have some sort of investment in the world. It's really hard to uh, translate a story like The Last of Us or a Bioshock or right. a Skyrim or a Red Dead to something really cinematic and more like digestible for an audience. I think The Last of Us is one of those IPs where I think they just they really they really had to nail it. And I think that anything less than a really a fine touch and a lot of care and involvement from the creators, I think you could have had a hot mess on on your and plate. And good performances too cuz like let's be honest, like The Last of Us is is again one of those few video games that it's obviously a lot easier to do now because a lot of studios are doing it. Performance capture. They're actual actors out there crying on a set with all these like like balls on them, you know, ping pong balls that they could capture their their movements and their emotions and and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, even though it's it's obviously different type of acting, like you have to follow in the shoes of one of the greatest voice actors of all time, Troy Baker. To follow Ashley Johnson, I mean, with when they get to part two, you got to follow Laura Bailey. Like these are big names for us video game geeks, and there's like there's lots of stuff. And then I mean, set production, it has to look real. Like it's got to look good. That that world is so lush with with fungus and overgrown cityscapes and like all this crazy stuff that we get to experience for hours and hours and hours on the game. And I need to be able to see it in less than an hour every Sunday night and believe it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, so you can buy into that world, like you were saying. Yeah. And it's difficult, too, because like of the time sink, too. Like when you're playing The Last of Us, you get 17, 18. I, I think the first game probably is like if you if you it's like 16 hours. Yeah, something like that. You get so much time to spend with these characters, little moments of dialogue, moments that you create in your head that may never live up to something on the screen. And so it's like it's difficult. Video games are their own unique medium. And for the longest time, I was always like, do we I would love to get to a point where we don't need a video game adaptation for a long time. It was like, OK, video games are really, really good. When are we making the movie for it? When are we making the show for it? It's like maybe we can just let video games be their own art form because you'll never be able to capture that level of engagement with a product like you can with video games. And that's why when they hit, when a video game really tells a fantastic story and does something special with the medium, it's unlike anything else. I think you can get more invested in it than you can a typical TV show or movie because partly that's your story. And you are, yeah, you are participating in it in a way that you don't when you yeah. watch something. Yeah. And so the fact that The Last of Us was this big champion thing, it went through so much production hell. There was a long time where we thought that it wasn't going to happen. Um, the fact that it's now crossed the finish line and we're in the middle of the first season, um, and you know, I'll spoil the first news bit. It's been renewed for a second season. Um, we're, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're here at this point where we out here now we can city boys, last of us boys, we out. um, <laughs> I think here's what I'm hoping, and we'll and we'll, this will be my last thesis statement unless you want to say anything else about the whole idea of this being adapted before we talk about the actual show, is hopefully now this is a uh, – let's call it a, a – nexus point. Let's call it a – I'm going to call it a spark notes for video game movies spark or adaptations. Notes. Do you remember those? I remember spark notes. Yeah, you're talking about the king of spark notes. They, go, they used to call me sparky. <laughs> <laughs> Old Sparky. There you I think go. I read more Spark Notes than actual books in, uh, in AP English. So yeah. So this is my hope: is that now that you've seen how it's done, yep, maybe other people will be able to adapt some of the things that I personally love in video games and elevate them to a level where you can play with it a little bit. You can do something a little bit different. You can really you can translate it in a way that doesn't make it feel cheap and hollow and just like a, a cash in adaptation to get some bucks off of the fact that there's an IP that is like a multi-million dollar selling video game franchise. You can actually make something that is in my opinion, art and yeah, legit. Um, and so, yeah, that's my thesis on the last of us HBO as a show. Um, do you have anything you want to say about the road that led us here before we actually talk about the show? No, I think you summed it up beautifully. Okay. Well, that was going to be my excuse to drink a sip of wine, but I'm going to go ahead and just dive right into it and say <laughs> we're going to read. We're going to read. You don't need any more wine. No, you're fine. <laughs> All right. Um, so a couple of articles here to share with you guys. The Last of Us becomes HBO's second largest debut after House of the Dragon since 2010. 4.7 million viewers on Sunday night alone, the premiere night. Sunday night alone, 4.7 million viewers. Largest debut since – largest debut after House of the Dragon. Uh, this is a largest debut since Boardwalk Empire launched back in 2010 for for uh, the uh, the channel for HBO. And then um, not just that, 
But the more impressive thing, in my opinion, yes, is definitely. that The Last of Us got this largest ever viewership growth for a drama from premiere to episode two. So it got an audience and word of mouth spread. And now um, it's getting bigger. Now yeah. it's getting bigger. And it went and, up for episode three, too. Mm-hmm. And so according to measurements by Nielsen, combined with first party data from Warner Brothers Discovery, episode two brought in 5.7 million viewers, which is a 22 percent increase from the week prior's record breaking 4.7 million. Um, insane. Absolutely insane. And I'll just say it. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I think I'm more. Di- I know that you use social media, but I'm a lot more dialed into like Twitter and Reddit and stuff like that. A fair assessment. Yeah. I, this show is everywhere, and it's really yeah. cool to see after the show airs how many people are reacting to it live and wanting to talk about it and stuff and sharing clips of their favorite moments and uh, retweeting things and stuff like that. So Making it's, memes it is, about it, yeah. Yep, it is undoubtedly a hit. It is catching on. It is enough that they, before episode three even came out, um, that they are just like, we're we're in it. We're, we're, we believe in this product. We believe in these showrunners. We believe in Craig. We believe in Neil. We're going to green light this for a season two. So Yeah, the thing that was really interesting was even leading up to episode three, which I'm looking forward to talking about, is like like people were like, like Troy Baker does, uh, does the official pod, and he's like, I'm really excited for you guys to get to the third week because if you like the beginning two episodes, that's great. He's like, but episode three is like, that's where we get you. And then you're ours for the rest of the show. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow, that's bold. Like coming from him, like who is obviously, you know, involved with the show and is involved with the universe and and knows a lot about it, I'm sure. But cocky. And to see them stick the stick the landing, land the plane, if you will. Stick, yeah. the, stick the plane. <laughs> for sure. Stick the plane. You got to stick that plane there. You know what they say about film production? You got to stick that plane. Yep. Land the um, landing. Okay, so that's it about all that. Shows a success. It's officially here. Uh, Video game adaptations. I think this is going to be a conversation that's going to dominate the 2020s. Is that's the new thing? Yeah, it's the new thing. If if this show can do it, what else can they do it with? Yeah, video games now. Exactly. So we'll see. I I hope that this is a as a seismic shift in what they're able to do with video game adaptations. Um, But we will see. We will see where that goes. But for now, let us just talk for a moment about The Last of Us HBO. Spoiler free. John, sure. I would uh, you're you're the I mean, I love The Last of Us. I think I'm partial I'm gonna count myself as partially responsible for introducing you to this universe. Hmm. Interesting. Cause didn't I lend you my remastered that you no, you bought it. Okay. But I told yeah. you you should buy it. Maybe I'm trying to remember when when we I definitely remember early on it being suggested because it was not my first PlayStation 4 game, but it was shortly thereafter. So I think it's you and Cal are like co-owners because he's the one that gave it to me for Christmas. So you guys can both share a little bit of that. But I mean, it's definitely been it wasn't on my radar. Um, I actually played The Last of Us before I played Uncharted, which is pretty wild. So like, that is wild to think about. Yeah. So like, because I enjoyed it so much, I was like, maybe I should check out these other games. And then I was, <laughs> and then, so I sat down and I borrowed Mike's um, Drake's Drake collection or whatever that came with the PlayStation 4s. But yeah, no, big fan of this game. Uh, just for the first game, I've logged about 350 hours, which is insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, you could say I'm a fan. Yeah. Well, then uh, then let us hear it. Spoiler free from uh, the biggest Last of Us fan that I know personally. Um, yeah. What is uh, what do you think about HBO's oh, The Last of Us? I think it's just really good. It's it's really well thought out. 
in the way that I was hoping that it would be, but I didn't want to like psych myself out too much and then be disappointed. When I was going into the show, I'm like, I've played this game a million times. Like I know the dialogue, even the optional dialogue by heart. Like that's how crazy of a, of a fan that I am. Like I've just, it's become a part of my DNA at this point. I wanted them to show me something that felt comfortable yet was new. Right. I want to be surprised. I want to still get scared. I want the things to work on me the way that it did the first time I played the game. But I also don't want it to be such a big departure of the game that I'm like, Mm-mm-mm, can't do that. You know what I mean? In the same way that we are with maybe some comic book adaptations or other video game adaptations. Like I've been watching, you know, this show for the last three weeks. No red flags in the way that Uncharted the movie was like, oh, it's Mark Wahlberg. That, red flag. You know what I mean? It's like this just I'm literally it, it hasn't happened John's. yet. I'm literally in a Papa John's right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's it's fantastic. Like I mentioned earlier, it looks really good for TV, especially it's got a nice big budget. They're making some really interesting, creative choices to tell the story of both Joel and Ellie, the central part, the whole nucleus of the, the franchise, while also fleshing out the world a little bit more than we might get from the game, which for me, I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, you want to hang out in Jakarta for like five minutes? Fuck yeah, let's do it. So I just think it's a really well adaption, but almost like it's its own thing enough too. it's like it's like being able to have them coexist in the same universe is just a, a delight for me. So what about you? I think it's brilliant. I think that they are absolutely they're they're speaking to me as a fan. But I think they're also really appealing to the film guy in me, the television guy in me, where I'm like, okay, am I going to just enjoy this as a fan of the franchise or am I going to enjoy this as just a general piece of art? And I really do think that they are hitting both of those things right on the head. Like I think that the acting is phenomenal. The visuals are great. The set design is immaculate. I really think that the writing has been really great, especially considering how much dialogue they've lifted from the actual game. And that makes me happy too, that they're not shying away from how good some of the writing is in that game, that they're taking the bits that really work and like fleshing out some of the other things. I think the changes that they've made have been all in a service of a, of a of a good show. I don't I don't think that anything that they've done differently has been a deterrent. I think all of it favors a more uh, serialized television drama than it does like a video game. And I think that you know the video game works in its own way. It honestly like watching the show has motivated me more to go back and play the game to be like like to see exactly like a lot of the differences in and how the story is told and just to be living in that world. It's almost really cool because a lot of the changes that we make, which we'll get to spoilers, are almost like it's almost like uh, you'll you'll probably appreciate this more as a comic book guy, right? But it's like sometimes you want to see things the way that you wish they would happen. And that's kind of how I felt like the show has done it sometimes where it's like maybe not the way you wish it would. But it was like, I wonder what would happen if this happened just a little bit different. And the show exactly. is toying yeah. with that enough that I think that it's really scratching an itch for me personally. That's um, what where, an adaption should be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Logan, the movie, really good movie. Not at all word for word, the old man Logan comic book. You know what I mean? But it's still a good enough adaption that the core of what it's supposed to be is right there in the middle front center. Yeah. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. And I think that they absolutely got so lucky that the stars aligned perfectly for the main. I'm going to call the main. Yeah. You know how we do the the winners of the of the, D, the fast cast or DCEU. OK, 
So they landed a trifecta of winners, in my opinion. Yep. Somehow, somehow, they were able to get Neil Druckmann to yep. be a showrunner on this on this thing to provide his insight from his creation of the games, and it's basically his baby. So the fact that he's there and being able to help out with this, miracle. Yeah. Craig Mazin, amazing. Chernobyl is a fantastic miniseries. If you haven't watched it out there, highly recommend it. You're going to see so much Last of Us comparisons that it's not <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. But the fact that he was free and available and seems – what I really like about Craig Mazin is I've not really watched any interviews with him, but all the post-show clips – he just seems so like actually passionate about the story of the <laughs> yeah. game that I'm like, I yeah. Don't, you yeah, should I'm listen like, to that official podcast that they do. It's really funny. He's like over the moon that because of how successful Chernobyl was, HBO was like, what do you want to do next? Like, you're our guy. And he's like, he's like, there's this video game I really like. I want to bring in the guy who worked on it and we're going to make you a pitch if you guys are interested. And they're like, okay. And then the two of them made the pitch together. And then they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Here, here you go. Here's your budget. And then they were Here's just the like, kings, the keys to the kingdom. They literally did the the Paul Red. Look at us, you know. Like, hey, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Us. Happy. Yeah. So yeah, he he seems genuinely like passionate as a fan of the franchise, while also like willing to push on Neil a little bit about being like, well, maybe let's do some things differently so that it plays out better on television. Yeah. And then the third pillar is the actors that they got. And I'm not yeah. even going to single out one, but I'm just going to say the fact that they they were able to get Bella Ramsey, who I'm totally bought in on as Ellie. I she's think good. she's fantastic. I think that Pedro Pascal as Joel is fan, is just the most brilliant <laughs> it's so good, And it's really <laughs> – it really frustrates me sometimes seeing how good he is in the role and then thinking of other roles where I wish they would have casted somebody better. It's like yeah. – he is a perfect, perfect Joel. It is unbelievable. He brings it. He brings his own little like bit of different swagger to the role, like a different sort of like. He feels very Troy Baker performance, but you also get a different, like just a tinge different because it's Pedro. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like a, um, like an impression. You know what I mean? It feels like, it feels fresh. But there's never a point where you're like, yeah, that's that's not Joel and Ellie. You're like, yeah, that's them. Like that, that's the dynamic, and that's the part is like, it's how they play off of each other. That was the key. Yeah. And they fucking figured that shit out easily. I can't wait to get deeper in the season with like the more dramatic stuff between the two of them specifically, because like, you yeah. know, we'll talk about it a little bit when we get into spoilers. But like, yeah. we barely even hit the rest of the iceberg with some of their scenes that they have. Yeah, we'll talk about spoilers because there's, a, there's a, spe a specific moment that made me more emotional than like almost anything in the show has so far. But we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just think that they hit like this perfect. Uh, it's almost like it's one of those projects where it's like I was keeping myself guarded, I think, emotionally. It's like getting hurt. It's like you get hurt by a breakup or whatever. And it's like, well, I want to keep myself emotionally guarded. I don't want to believe that this can work out. I want to make sure that I'm uh, have a healthy, healthy level of skepticism. Mm -hmm. And then you hit this, and I'm like, you know what? I'm ready to love again. And that's <laughs> kind of how I've been feeling for this whole show. Is like, I'm like, well, I'm kind of ready. I'm kind of, you know, take me, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> like, just, you know. Just, I just want this show to love me unconditionally, and I, uh, yeah. I hope it contains, I hope it continues its 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 success rate. Because if man, if the rest of the season is as good as these first three episodes, we are in for maybe a TV sh like 
a season of television that could compare to something like a Watchmen. Like that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, stuff like that comes along so long, so few, so rarely. And it's like, yeah, if this show is able to continue this sort of streak, I'm assuming I'm hope I'm going to guarantee you. And we'll talk about this with spoilers, but there's got to be one episode where it's like, a little bit worse than everything else there's no way that it can continue to get better and better i think it's gonna Uh, be next week i think it's gonna be hard to follow this past weeks and i think people are gonna be like are we sure the last of us is good and then they'll they'll get them back when they get to wyoming you know or something like that (laughs) sure um that's what i i think if you know not a very bold prediction it's always the it's like the super bowl hangover like i think next week's gonna be their super bowl hangover yeah and we will see Um, but yeah, unless Last the bloater shows up next week, and then I think everyone's in. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers yet. No spoilers yet, but it might. I got a theory. Um, and I know John's excited. He's like, bloater, give me the bloater. Give me the bloater. Give me the bloater. Um, we see him. Yeah. So in short, in review, before we get to spoilers, Zach is an absolute recommendation. Two thumbs way up for The Last of Us. I think that the first three episodes have been just immaculately done. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would I would have, I would definitely say that I recommend it. And if you haven't already been um, initiated, give, give yourself some uh, give yourself some pure just fucking art to the brain and just go watch it. It's good stuff. Yeah. And I here's a, and a last thing that I'll end on before we talk spoilers. How uh, like have you recommended the show to anybody since it started coming out, like people that weren't fans of it beforehand? Like, have you talked to anybody yes. that has, has enjoyed it? What are their thoughts? They love it. Okay. They've watched it. Yeah. And they're like, wow, this is really good. I'm like, Psh, I know. That's what I've been telling you. Tell me something. I the cool thing know, has been bitch. people, the, the cool thing has been people, you know, that I've, I've lived with before or have, you know, spent a lot of time with before where I've just like talked about it, talked about it, talked about it. And they put up with it. Like you have done for so many years. And it's just like, they know how like much I've been really looking forward to it. And then for it to follow the hype, and then each week, sometimes they're even watching it before I get to it, you know, is great. Like, shout out to Julia. You know, Julia, she's great. She, like, watched me play the games in my house. And then this past week, she was, like, in tears after the episode. I'm going to have to text her and tell her. I, I didn't, know, <laughs> she was I don't, I didn't know she's been watching it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, she's been really into it. And she's she texted me. She's like, she's like, God damn it. <laughs> she's like, I wasn't expecting it to, to hit me the way that it is. So. Yeah, I think that, you know, hopefully this is another one of those steps because I feel like, you know, it is nerds win, right? Nerds rule the world. We we own we own the planet. But there is still a sect of people out there that don't haven't yet experienced a video game story that really has emotionally moved them yet because it is a harder barrier to entry. It's there's like there's girls I've dated or people that I've been with like friends I've had where they're like, you know, I don't really feel like getting invested in Red Dead 2 to get this story. But it's like if you did, if you spent the time, if you put in the work, like reading a good book, you would find yourself feeling very rewarded. So I wonder if this might be a gateway drug for other people to kind of experience other video game stories. But, you know, it is hard. Video games are a hard barrier to entry because the cost of a system and playing the games like – but, you know, it'd be cool if this opened the doorway for other people to get more invested in other video game stories. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Gloves are off. This is metaphorically me throwing off the gloves. How do you want – here's what here's what I want to ask is how do you want to do this? Because we've got three episodes to talk about. Do you want to talk about 
each episode individually, or do you just want to start talking about stuff from all three episodes? Like, I how think do you we should. Structure this? Let's do a little bit of structure. Let's just do each one individually. I think that would make the most sense. Um, because otherwise it's just gonna be like a lot of word vomit. You know what I mean? About like, oh, and then they didn't do this, and you know, it's like, <laughs> so. I okay. Know, well, then. You have in mind? No, I think that that's a smart way to do it. So let's let's do episode by episode, and then I'll try and keep an eye on the timer so that we don't go like crazy over long for each episode. Um, I need this. I'm just I need this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds good. Uh, so let's start with the first episode. That cold open is when such you're a, lost. Such in a darkness. good idea. Yeah. Aired good on name for 15th of January, 2023. Yeah. Um, date which will live in infamy. Um, yeah, the cold open with uh, what's his name? Not John Hanna. It's like something Hanna. It might be John Hanna. He's the actor from The Mummy. He plays Jonathan in The Mummy, but he is he's playing a fungal scientist. Dude, how cool, how fucking as a tone setter, it's dude, <laughs> so fucked up to just be like yeah, it, it hasn't adapted to humans yet, but maybe if the temperatures rise across the globe that it could. And you're like <laughs> Well, I like it. yeah, so when that Jesus. when that started, I was like, "Oh, I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, so this is going to be how we're going to do this whole thing. And it's like, because doesn't that flashback take place in like 1960 or something like that? 1950? Yeah, it's the 60s. It's the 60s. And it's like a televised broadcast of these scientists on this talk show or whatever. And he's given the whole thing. He's like, you know, cordyceps could be like this whole big thing. It's like, what do you think the next pandemic will be? And he's like, he starts going down this whole road about talking about this whole thing. And then there's that one moment where he's like, he outlines the whole thing and it cuts the talk show host and he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's got, like the wide eyes and i was like oh fuck <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no i love i love that it so it, like it had that whole scene occurs and then it cuts to black and then we start hearing the clock ticking like in the game how the game so actually good. starts holy shit and then so it's good. sarah waking up and then and then we're off to the the prologue that we know and have come to you know be very familiar with and are in on it as gamers like we know what's coming but they give it to us in, in a different approach i'm watching so this shit tonight bro yeah <laughs> i'm so watching that it's, this shit tonight <laughs> so that it's as investing as it could have possibly been and then for the people that don't know what's coming it's like utterly tragic right yeah i mean even if you were like analyzing the posters and you're like why isn't his daughter on these posters something's probably gonna happen or like you still don't know how or when so it's still that that twist of having fedra or the military being the one that kills sarah is just still awfully devastating and i don't want to jump ahead too far but like since i've already brought it up pedro pascal had a big order to fill in the first like half hour of this which is like you gotta nail that scene that scene is tough to do and he does it in a way that's different enough from troy baker while still being like like you feel for him and like you can you buy into the fact that that's his daughter like the thing that got me that's different from the game is when he looks over and he's like, Tommy, help me. And Tommy's just like, I can't, you know, and just, he doesn't even say anything. I was just like, that's when I, like, I fucking died. I was yeah. like, I started crying all over again. And I've played that opening like 30 times. So. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that oh. the prologue was the, the, ep the prologue with the newscast going into the actual prologue that we know. I mean, yeah. like this ep the first episode like we'll talk about this when we get to episode 3 too but like the first and third episode each being like mini movies they reminded me of like Sherlock episodes from the BBC sure how yeah. each one of those episodes are like an hour and a half long so they feel like mini movies this first episode i thought was a really smart decision to kind of have it like i think you could have split it up into two episodes but the fact that you do get this whole extended look it feature yeah. flick basically is like such a great way to enter into the world and 
um, it, it played out almost exactly as we, as you predicted it on when we did the prediction show or whatever, but like the way that everything went down, like, I mean, just the subtle changes that they did were what I was most impressed about. Like all the stuff that we get to spend with Sarah, the more time that we get with her and the family next door and her going to get the watch fixed and stuff like that, like much yeah, more hanging intimate. out with the Adler's next door. was <laughs> goddamn. Yeah. Terrifying <laughs> shit. Um, yeah. Or even getting to have breakfast. Like, I think that scene is really good, too. Like that you buy into their family dynamic between the three of them, like almost instantly. I think that it's really great. Like when he comes in, and he's like, happy birthday, you old fucker. <laughs> and she's like, oh, he loves you. He loves you. <laughs> and then he's like, he's dependent on me. It's not the same thing. <laughs> I was like, this is like they're fucking nailing the archetypes for these people right now, which is yeah, wonderful to see. Yeah, it was awesome, and I I loved the the prologue was so great. Yeah, like you mentioned, the gut wrenching Sarah's death is is awful to watch in any format. Um, it's Pedro never, Pascal, it's never easy. It's never easy. Yeah, yeah. and like it, thinking about it in retrospect, it really is like one of the most brilliant moves that you could do for the game because it's like chaos is going all around, and it just happens to be an act of human error. Is that how she dies? is like it is one of the most tragic on-screen deaths i think you could ever have like it really is it's gut-wrenchingly awful. awful to watch yeah awful um but pedro handles it perfectly that scene of him like holding her while he's like sobbing is like man shout out to you fucking pedro like dude is dude is just a legend he's such a good actor and he's so yeah. so engaging to watch he's he emotes so well with his eyes and I know, which is a shame that the Mandalorian he's yeah. wearing a all the time. <laughs> You're talking to the ultimate Mandalorian he's also, hater. The fact I wish that also, they would just keep his helmet he's such, off. He's so good with his voice though in that show too, though. Like think about it. Like he's just a good actor in general. Like he's able to make us care about his feelings for a fucking little alien without even showing his face for most of the time. Yeah. Um, he's much better in this show, but you know. That's I don't think an unpopular opinion. He's, he's also just it, it just different. It's, <laughs> it's completely different. In Mandalorian, he's he's really good. He's the best he's is in that show is the Bill Burr episode where he's able to emote. In my opinion, brown eyes, brown eyes, Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So I don't know. The prologue was awesome. I loved all the stuff there, and then the time cut I thought was great. Like, and then just like catching yeah, with up with everything. Kid. That was fucking really dark <laughs> too, to watch man holy shit really bold but i think it in a way that like in the game you're walking around boston as joel and you like see fedra taking people out of their homes and like executing them in the streets if they're infected you have to show all of that that you experience in a game in like two minutes or less and you got to be like this is why we don't like fedra right and it's very quick but it's really well done and really smartly done because it shows you as well how the infected um, tester works, which I love that they gave it colors. They don't have that in the game, but like red or green, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty like, obvious. So you that, gotta make that, <laughs> and it comes into play later on, which is really helpful. Um, but yeah, that scene's brutal. That poor, that poor little boy. So yeah, and then just so. seeing this, the lifeless, soulless Joel just throwing his corpse in the in the fucking burn pile is. It's a wild transition about that guy. Yeah, it's a wild transition because then, yeah, you get the pan up and you're like, oh, that's the same guy. And then like it goes through the whole thing. Like um, they also did a good job of aging him up. Like he looks good with the gray hair and he does not have gray hair like that. So this is one of this is one of my only two criticisms. I have two criticisms of the show. And the first one is that the age gap is like not that crazy because it is like a 10 year. (laughs) What is it? It's a 10 year jump. But he just kind of has years. 
20 years. He has some gray speckles and some more wrinkles. Yeah. Um, but then later on, we'll get to Bill and Frank, where there's an, another time jump where I'm like, <laughs> oh, that actually looks legitimately like they're 20 years older. Um, so that was a little bit funky, but that's kind of just TV. You can't really, mm-hmm. you can't yeah, really, sure. you can't really complain can't, about that yeah, too much. That's just a nitpick. Look, he's got to look handsome, you know? Yeah. So. But, um, yeah, so first episode, When You're Lost in the Darkness. I mean, I other highlights from from this stuff. Meeting I mean, you get, you get to meet Ellie. I thought just she really kills it in that first scene where she's, like, doing the whole interrogation thing with Marlene and, the like, the other fireflies. <sighs> Fucking Marlene, dude. That's so – it was so cool to see her. Um, interesting twist, too, just, like, her being, like, held captive. And then where she's just, like, you know – they didn't put you in the federal school. I did, Ellie. And it's like, oh, no. Oh, so, so these people should have a history that Ellie doesn't know about. They do a really good job of escalating the whole premise to get to the point that I was hoping they would get to, which I think they stole our idea, but that's okay. Those guys are geniuses, which is to end the episode on revealing that she's infected, but she hasn't turned yet, which for normal audiences that don't know about the premise at all, I'm really curious to like hear about. But most people that I know that, we're getting ready to watch the show. We're aware. So, yeah. But even having like him know that soldier that he just like beats the living crap out of at the end of the episode too, is like a nice touch. Obviously meeting, meeting Tess and having their relationship a little more fleshed out in the first episode is really good too. I think she's great. Anna Torov's just crushing it. She's so awesome. Where she's and, like, where she's like, I told Robert that you weren't going to beat him up and yeah, I would really like you to hurt him. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and an embarrassing, embarrassing moment for Zach in terms of pop culture moments. Did not realize that that she was fucking from fringe, fringe until, yeah. until I like looked up her actor profile after the episode. I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's her. And she, she looks great still too. But like, yeah. Um, Man, I loved Fringe. I can't believe I totally just didn't recognize her at all. Like, not yeah. at all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the first episode, I think it, it does, it sets everything up and it sets the three of them on the journey by the end of it, which is really good. Um, and then obviously the second episode is a little bit more of a slower pace compared to the first one up until until they get into the museum, which like, I could talk forever about that clicker scene. I think that shit is insane. Okay, so before we talk about infected, I want to fill up my wine really, really quickly. But was there any last minute thing? Like, what what else are we forgetting? Is there anything that we're not covering from episode one, from when you're lost in the darkness? I mean, we have like we talked about the prologue, we talked about the flashbacks to like the the like the early pandemic stuff, um, meeting te- meeting Tess, meeting Ellie, meeting Joel. Um, I like that they make his motivation instead of them trying to get guns back from the Firefly that they're trying to get a battery to go see Tommy because he hasn't. They set up this like this phone Morse code system that is going across the, the nation. And, you know, Joel goes to see the guy and we learn that Tommy's been, he's been disappeared for three weeks. And that even though Joel and him still had their falling out about the fireflies, that obviously he wants to make sure that his last remaining family member is okay. So, yeah. And I really good like change from the game. Good change. I actually really like the, I mean, I think it works better in the game because you have to have enemies to fight, but I think that the lack sure. of Fedra makes it a lot more sense in this, that it is just survival with like, you get a little bit of the agents there on the border, but you, you don't assume that they're like this all encompassing threat. 
because they're not like they're they're yeah. patrolled to these quarantine zones. They're not really interested in going chasing after fucking fugitives or whatever. Like they're trying to survive too. So I think it makes a lot more sense that there's not because in the first game when you're going through like the sewers at the beginning with Ellie, isn't there like helicopter not helicopters, but there's like guys with guns like on things like holding flashlights yeah. at you and stuff. It's like I don't think I think it makes a lot more sense for the show that it's a lot more scaled back. Like it's really just a couple people that are concerned about them leaving the QZ. Right. So yeah. I think it makes. I will say I, I do miss I do miss Robert getting killed by Tess. That's one of my favorite moments of the game that they they have him get in a firefight with the fireflies and he gets killed by Marlene and other people. Um, but that's you know that's just a little nitpick that really doesn't change my my outlook on the show. But I think you still could have had that in there because it would have been cool to see the brutality of Tess before because it would have added to her character too. But you also that's do get to see that. What? Yeah. I so said it's such a good part of the game. Yeah. Come on, we can take those fireflies. What do you say? And she's just like, that's a stupid idea. Clack, clack. Right. Fucking dome. And then um, when Marlene's but, like, where's Robert? And she just like walks out of the way and he's like dead on the floor. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go play that game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never finish Ragnarok. Um, but yeah, I think that's mostly it. The other thing that I will say is I like the motif at the end, which we'll talk about when we get to episode three. Music. With yeah. the music at the end uh, being like uh, it's like the emergency broadcast signal or whatever, like coming onto the thing or whatever. Cool moment to end the episode on, especially with like the pan out from the fucking building and you see the you clicker see the like downtown on the fucking yeah. thing. Man, yeah. just we to really say Joel and Joel and Ellie's meeting is really funny, too, where he just like fucking stone cold Steve Austin's her into the wall. <laughs> it's just like, no regard at all. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And then when, you know, when she tricks him into revealing the the Bill and Frank code with the Billboard Top 100s with the radio is is great. Like you can you pick up on her mischievous side pretty quickly. Yeah. It's like you said, they did a good job of selling everything in the first episode. Everything. Yeah. And then they and when you, if you're able to do that, then you just get to keep on fucking building and to the point where you're like, this is a nine episode season and we're three episodes in and it's already like this is fucking dope. Yeah. So. Uh, another special one moment I'll shout out to just a moment that I love that dialogue ripped straight from is when uh, they get to the hotel room and they're waiting for Tess to come back. And it's like, what you doing? He's like, killing time or whatever. Yeah. Like, she's like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, I'm sure you'll figure that out. <laughs> I loved it. I love I was like I, this whole show. There's been moments in all three episodes where I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Leo yeah. meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, hey, I know Absolutely. that shit. Uh, but it's it doesn't feel like it's pandering to me like it did when Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie gets like his white shirt and the bandoliers. Oh my god! It's yeah. like this actually feels like it it feels earned and not totally like there's look at this you stupid fucking moron. Here's the shirt from the video game that you like. Like here it feels like totally yeah. natural. Well, that's the thing. There's a moment in the third episode that's dialogue ripped straight from the game that I'm like, it's okay if you do this every now and then. That's totally fine with me. You know what I mean? Because like because they're delivering it such a good way yeah and it just fits super super well so are you eating broccoli right now yeah i was trying to finish chewing before we talked sorry <laughs> all right i'm done gotta eat your vet eat your green vegetables stay in school <laughs> Do my homework. mom's always been telling me that shit i never believed her <laughs> yeah so episode two infected starts out with another cold open that i also really dig uh which this, is this cold open is fucking awesome mm -hmm. it is um it takes place three days or so before the actual outbreak day, which is in late September. And it is in Jakarta that we hear about on the radio in the first episode. And it is a um, 
Oh God, I already forgot. Mycologist, which is a, a, a fungal scientist. And this is in Indonesia in Jakarta. And like the, this like brigadier general comes in, finds this lady in a cafe. And he's like, you're the mycologist professor at the university. Like, I need you to come with me. And he takes her and explains essentially patient zero or like close enough to it, which we've never really gotten like a full briefing of in the games. We've heard about like, you know, if you read the newspapers and stuff like that in the games, it's like talks about how it infected the food supply and things like that. But yeah, I mean, how, how fucking great is this while also Dude. being like absolutely terrifying? This cold open, and and again, this is another reason why I think that you know when you do get a free chance, you should try and watch Chernobyl because this is the most Chernobyl this show has gotten so far with the the doctor in like the hazmat suit like going into the patient's room. That shot of her like slowly cutting open the skin to see like the webbing underneath or whatever, and then when she yeah, picks the, the thing out of when she picks the fungus out of the throat or whatever, and it like starts moving, I'm like fuck. I was like, I felt like my back itch. I was yeah, like, when shit. she just like drops everything and she's like, I'm out. <laughs> she's like, Let's see ya. And she does, she does exactly what I would do in this scenario with that. She's like, I just want to go home and be with my family. She's well, that's like, the thing is like, that's the dark and yet bittersweet part about it. Right. Is the shows, the shows underlying theme that the creators have talked about is, is what does love do to people? Right. And so this person's like, she studied fungus her entire life. They ask her to look at cordyceps and she's like, there is no way it could be in a human sample. And the guy's like, well, come check this out. So she opens a cadaver, finds the fungus inside and immediately knows that we're fucked. Right. So they go back and she's like, she's holding the coffee cup and he's like shaking. And she's like, you need to bomb the entire city and make yeah. sure that everybody's wiped out. And if you don't mind, I'd like to go spend what time I have left with my family. And it's like, it's insane. It's an Yikes. insane and Yikes. and shout out to that uh, that actress. Like uh, not seen her in anything else that I know, but like just probably just like a character actress that they brought in for this role or whatever. But her delivery of that line where he's bomb. like, "What should we do?" and she's bomb. It's like mm. shivers down my spine, like just no. goosebumps when I think about it. Like just because it's so the direness in her voice, it's really fucking terrifying, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And then doesn't that cut into what I think is a really good comedic moment, which is Ellie waking up out in the zone, out of the zone, I should say. And she like wakes up and she's like looking around and then like cuts over and Joel and Tess are just sitting a couple feet away. Joel's got the assault rifle pointed at her and you could tell they've been waiting all night to see if she was going to turn infected. So funny. This scene's hilarious. Yeah, like, this this interaction is so great. Like everything where she's like she she's like busts out the sandwich or whatever. And it's like this. We should also say this episode, the, the first episode was directed by Mason and this episode is directed by Druckmann. Yep. And so I love that they gave Neil the clicker episode and the episode where he gets to actually have Joel and Ellie's first time alone, things like that. I think that's very fitting. And they both they both crushed totally. the openings. Um. Yeah, the chicken sandwich thing is so funny. Where she's <laughs> she's like, yeah, a smuggler gave it. I guess it wasn't you guys. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> and they're eating this like shitty looking beef yeah. jerky or whatever. Mm -hmm. My favorite bit is when she's like begging for a gun. I think that the motif of her keeping the asking for a gun is really cool. Um, yeah, definitely. But she was like, fucking fine, Jesus. I guess I'll throw my sandwich at him. <laughs> it's like such a it's it feels so Ellie. It's it's great. Um Yeah, that that and Joel just like absolutely not not about it. Yeah. It's it's hilarious. 
She's like, so. I got it. She's like, I have to go to the bathroom. She's like, he's like, go over there. She's like, well, what's in here? Anything scary? And he's like, just you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and they do an interesting too, interesting thing too, though, where they start to kind of sow the seeds of the fact that Tess might be buying into it a little bit more than Joel is early on, where she's just like, you know, she made it through the night and like little comments like that, and then that leads into them walking on the overpass and like Tess and her start to have like this connection where there's a little bit of like a big sister, little sister type of camaraderie that they're, they're sure. setting up really leading into the fact that Ellie is like comfortable with being with Tess and doesn't give two shits about Joel still, which is just perfect. So, yeah. And then they introduce <laughs> something which is different, but it makes more sense with like real biology, which is that the, um, the infected have like a network where if there are active tendrils that you'll see all over the place when you play the games and you like step on them, it sends signals across to other active areas and can awaken the hordes, which I think is pretty fascinating. Yeah. And they make a mention about that. like in the post credits thing where they talk about the thing where they're, they don't, they decide not to have spores be a thing. Yeah. So, so Pedro you, doesn't have to wear a gas mask. <laughs> Cause that they were like, eh, this is a little man. <laughs> I think it's cool. I, I like the gas mask stuff. I think that adds an interesting layer. Like, because I'm curious about how we get certain scenes in this in part I two. I know. I know. So yeah, it's it's. I'm a little disappointed, but ultimately I, I get it. And at least the the substitute that they've given for it is is interesting, you know, and compelling for television. But I still miss people going spores. Put your mask on, and you know, we're just like, yeah. Just oh, wow. side comment that we don't need. I'm not gonna. We don't. I don't want to spend any time on. But I'm just so excited to see who they cast as Dina. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, what if it's Shannon yeah. Ortega? Oh my God, that's actually a pretty <laughs> solid pick. I'll take that any day of the week. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the episode same age two range is Bella Ramsey, so that that could work. Yeah. Episode two, like, I mean, like, big things. It's not a whole lot. This episode is, like, a really atmospheric episode, but there's not a whole lot of plot that moves This along one's there. definitely the most, like, video gamey type episode, which is, like, we got to get from point A to point B, and we're going to have some side things along the way that's going to deter yeah. us. But it's still, you know, dope. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> really good. when they I mean, get to the museum. Yeah, I think the highlight is the museum, so I'll just let you off the leash. Go ahead and talk about it, Mr. Clicker. Practical effect clickers. So good. They did it. It looks real and it terrifies me. <laughs> they look fucking awesome. And yeah. um, that shot, the best shot I think in the whole season of episode two is um, Joel with the flashlight up against his neck trying to reload the revolver in silence. And then you get the slow pan over when he's like senses the clicker is nearby. And it's cool for the audience too. Like I would wonder, I would love to talk to someone that didn't know about the lore of The Last of Us where they're like, okay, so clickers can't identify you by sight but they can hear you and so the idea of like them just showing that really quickly as joel like turning around the corner you have the light in the clicker's eye and you can see it right there but he doesn't know that joel's there because he's not making any sounds it's so fucking terrifying and so awesome yeah yeah it's it's horrifying but it's a really good action set piece too like even the lighting like they um in the first game, they just push through all night to get to the capital, and in this game, they spend the night. And so, a majority of this is taking place during the day instead of the dark rain, like the like the game is. And I actually think that makes it look even spookier because there's like light pouring in through the dust-covered windows into the museum. It's just you know really really good stage construction, which I think is pretty sick. And it also helps with the uh, when they get to the capital building too. But yeah, him. 
accidentally stepping on the glass. Like we've all been there. You know what I mean? It happens. It happens <laughs> in the game. <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. You know, and you're I just walking through a derelict museum. You step on a piece of glass, alert a clicker. We've all been there. Yeah. I also love that they uh, have her get bit again. Smart idea. Very smart idea. This is going to be more beneficial because in the game, after Tess dies, Joel and Ellie are in the subway and there's spores everywhere and she's breathing in spores. And he's like, how the hell are you breathing this stuff in? And she's like, I told you, like, I've been bit. I haven't turned. It's been three weeks. So like in the mo- in the show, since they don't have spores, they got to come up with a new thing, which is like, let's have her and Tess get bit at the same time in the museum. And then you can see the difference when they get to the Capitol. It's just like you know, smart decisions like that makes them geniuses. Yeah, for sure. But the only thing I ever really wanted to talk about with the rest of this one, I think that we should probably touch on this, is Tess in the yeah. capital. Super powerful scene, man. So I think that, that ending is so sad, but it, it is also like it is like ultimate. It's it's so horrifying to watch, like the way that they the way that the the, the scene is filmed, like I, like Soft the whole focus. time. Yeah, I have my like hands gripping the pillow and I'm like, I'm like, fuck, 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 please don't show it. And then the way that they do it and the terror on her face as she's getting infected with like the fucking fungus kiss. I'm yeah. like, this this is my nightmare. This is my Terrifying. nightmare. <laughs> yeah. But the last minute flick of the lighter, the drop in the gas, the thing exploding, like it's just such a cool I think it's such a better like this is one of those decisions I think is better than the game without any doubt in my mind. Then rather than Tess just getting gunned down by Fedra agents, the idea that she sacrifices herself to blow up a bunch of infected and get Joel and Ellie out of the building, I think is like, yeah, I think it's a way better. I think it's a way better. I think it's a way better storytelling decision than the game. Personally, I don't know how you feel, but. No, I I think I like to have my cake and eat it too. Like I, I like both. I And I can see each one existing in their own particular versions of the world and it making sense to me. So I, I can't choose. Don't ask cool. me to do that ever again. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. No, no it's really well done. And I also love the dif- the difference that I like in this scene, particularly besides the major staging is um, in the game. Um, Ellie makes p- puts one and two together that she's like, oh, she's infected. And Joel steps towards Tess and she goes, don't fucking touch me. And she backs up. And in the show, this version of Tess is much more in love with Joel than maybe the game version is. And she steps towards Joel and Pedro like recoils. And that's like that's got to be heartbreaking because like, you know, you're about to die. And this guy's like, I don't want you near me. That's that's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's really smart decision. But great acting by Anna Torv there. Like just that whole moment. Yeah, like, like the I never whole... asked you to feel the way that I feel. Yeah, it's really rough. If um, you like save who you can save that whole that whole yeah. monologue that she gives before like Joel and Ellie run out of the building. I think it's just so fucking good. And like the 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 sadness you can see on her face before she's like giving into death is like it's it's brutal. Like it's a tough it's a fucking tough scene. Yeah, and even like her motor functions aren't working with the lighter because it's like already starting to, yeah, crazy. It's it's fucking it's fucking scary. Uh huh. But yeah, yeah, that's episode two. I mean, like that's all that I really. I mean, episode two is a really good episode, but kind of like you said, it is a very video gamey episode. Like it feels like we have to get to a certain place. There's a little bit of character development. I like the. Uh, I like the the rip bit of dialogue where he's like, "What do you think?" Or whatever. And she's like, "Eh." 
can't deny that view or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I liked that they they ripped that scene as well. That's one of the best with him looking at the watch. Yeah. So good stuff. Jury's still out. Okay, you ready to cry? Because <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Let's talk about. Uh, I think we've been doing an okay time on time. We've been going a little long, but that's not bad. So, um, right. speaking of time, many, I haven't seen many Oscar-nominated movies. So, <laughs> speaking of time, I long, think long time. I'm gonna love you for mm. a long, long time. Yeah, episode three, long, long time. Really good. <laughs> Maybe one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Uh, this is uh, also a pretty lengthy episode, too. Almost feature length. I love the book endings with Ellie and Joel. And then there's like a 45-minute stretch in the middle. That's like, what if up? But what if up the movie <laughs> in the pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Because um, uh, we're going to Billstown, baby. What did you yep. think of this episode? I think this is a masterpiece. I think this is one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. And I, I, you know, I've just seen it once. I'm coming off the high. I only watched it yesterday. I'm going to say that it is one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. And I think that it is, um, it's immaculate from start to finish. Just the pacing of it, the way that it's laid out, the acting is unreal. Fucking Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett just absolutely destroy acting, this episode like acting the pants off of people yeah. if they aren't nominated for every emmy i don't understand what the problem is here what the major malfunction is of the academy of emmy voters um <laughs> yeah. no dude i think directed by episode, peter whore we should say as well um we got a we got a discography on mr peter whore uh let me take a look at that i they just talked about him a little bit on the show and i already i already forgot but one of the things that they did want to bring up is they wanted as many of the cast and crew of this episode to be middle-aged gay men, um, which is very important for the episode, as we will, I'm sure, talk about. Yeah. He directed a couple episodes of our favorite show, Daredevil, uh, as oh. well as The Umbrella Academy. Oh. So a couple other comic booky related stuff. So okay. good TV director, Altered cool. Carbon, The Defenders, mm. he's so Iron Fist. Ooh. So he's, mm. he's a Marvel mm. guy, looks like, for Interesting. a while. Yeah, I want to know what Daredevil episodes, though. Anyway, let's talk about this, though. We got to keep moving on. Yeah, we got to chuck along. Um, let's talk about the opening just a little bit. So yeah, we got, okay, go for it. We got Joel and Ellie walking around. You know, they're not quite quick and, clicking yet, no pun intended. Um, her and him in that gas station while he's trying to find his cash, and she, like, sneaks into the basement, finds that infected, and then just, like, brutally stabs it in the face is, like... Yikes. Like, you know, they, that's the thing that in the game they slowly ease you into is like Ellie's got some bloodlust. Like she's a fucking little monster. As you see in part two, she's violent as shit. And we love her for it. Uh, was I am I alone in thinking when this when this was going on? I knew that this is going to be episode with Bill and Frank in yeah. that opening sequence. She goes into that bunker and that infected is there like trapped under rubble. I was wondering if that was Frank. And like Bill had like kept him trapped there because like he like That's turned fucked. and didn't want him to die. or like. And then we go get flashbacks to the Yeah. And then he would like keep going back to that bunker. So like I kept waiting for that to happen, but totally didn't happen. But I was wondering if yeah. it was, did, was I the only one that thought that like where I was like he was keeping his like partner there like because he didn't want him to die. But he didn't also 
I didn't, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, um, but they could have easily done that. And then like you find out by the end of the episode that Ellie just stabbed him, like cold blooded, killed him. And I would have been like, wow, what a brutally sad thing to do. And that would have also added to the whole thing of like in the game, Bill and Ellie have a pretty antagonistic relationship to each, toward each other. Yes. And I thought that that would have been a smart way to have it done. Whereas that Ellie just yep. accidentally just murders and his. They don't, they don't see each other in this at all. Yeah. Nope, not a one bit. So not I was like, second. I was like, well, that theory is out the window. No but fat I was like, ass that was jokes, nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was just like a red herring because I wonder how many people thought that too. Because I was like, I was like, oh, that's fucking Frank. He, she yeah. just killed Frank. Like she killed his partner. That because he's in a bunker. Like how, how the fuck does he fucking? How does that fucking infected get there unless he's trapped there? Yeah, know? it looks like like the ceiling collapsed and he fell down in there or something. I don't know. Um, what do you think about this though? Joel's got this assault rifle from the QZ. And he's like, there's barely any ammo out here for this thing. So it's basically useless. And he stashes it. What did you think about that? Because I was mad. I was like, Joel, I mean, I've had less bullets than that in the game. And I've been <laughs> fine. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> for a player of the video game, I was like, yeah, you probably don't want to just get rid of a gun. And yeah, that was the other thing. coming up for you, my guy. Like, let's that, keep that assault rifle. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's totally a plot thing. But it's like, you know, there's the scene where they go into the bunker later when they're stashing. Like, they're getting Bill's stuff from the bunker. And there's the wall of guns. And I'm like, Joel, take all of it. All the guns. All of, all the, guns. of the guns. You're about Take to go to Pittsburgh. All of the guns. <laughs> Call so. up all guns. Ring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um. Jinx. Thanks. Yeah, that was, <laughs> was like beautiful. almost in perfect synchronization. Um, but yeah, so it, it transitions into this really interesting thing that I thought, um, and I wasn't sure where they were going with it, but he shows like ma a mass grave site where Fedra just killed a bunch of people from small rural towns that they weren't even going to try to take the chance if they were infected or not. And it shows like this dress on a decomposing body. And then it transitions 20 years ago, a couple of days after the outbreak to the woman wearing the dress and she's got a baby. And I was like, Oh man, are we about to follow like this mother and child that are going to get mass murdered by Fedra? I don't know if I really want to watch that, but it's a twist because it just is, they live in Bill's town and it sets up, it's a couple of days after, and he's not going because he's a doomsday prepper in this, which I think is such a good choice. It's and so we get one of fucking the best lines. Not today, you jackboot New World Order fucks. This <laughs> <laughs> is so good. And let's just say it right, right now. Nick yeah. Offerman, holy yeah. shit. What a fucking perfect, perfect role for him as yeah. Bill. He's he is, it is amazing. He is the perfect Bill. I loved all of it, dude. I mean, like, holy shit. He, this performance from Nick Offerman. Like, I, you, so you haven't watched, uh, you watch all of Parks and Rec, obviously. Yes. Did you ever watch Devs on no, Hulu? It is really good, though. Okay. So that's the only other thing that I've seen Nick Offerman do, like, a really serious role in. And he's amazing in that show as well. Um, he's really good in um, The Founder. I've seen him in that. Oh, sure. That was the first time that I was like, oh, yeah, he's got some dramatic chops. They say that comic actors are the best to cast in dramatic roles because they have humanity and you can feel it and just in like their persona. And obviously that comes into play with with our two co-leads for this episode. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, the montage of him creating the town is great. 
so like good. he's driving the boat around to load it up with stuff and like he's like the the power goes out and he's like well that was a lot faster than i thought and like he goes turns the power back on and like it's just like it's really funny like and the, there's like a fleetwood max sog plane or something yeah. like that and then like he's cooking dinner and drinking wine my he's favorite flame yawn yeah I love he's eating he's eating steak and he looks at the video feed or whatever and watches this that one infected hits a trap and he's like oh shit and he's like <laughs> never gets old yeah yeah it's good and then they do a good job in this episode with time cuts like the editing of this episode is just perfect like there's a couple different time period jumps within the just this Bill and Frank story I mean so then it's like it's like what three years later and he's been living here by himself for a while. And he gets an alert that the trap got sprung and he goes out there and fucking just Frank's down in the hole. <laughs> it's just like this really charming guy. And uh, it's so funny. It, it, so, yeah, yeah. The, the I just love the, it's the, the best sin- mute of, of all. It time. is the best mute <laughs> of all time. It is so funny and sincere. And it's like the weirdest, darkest, like. Like you said, it's like a dark meat cute. But like the idea he's like he builds this trap. The guy falls in the trap. He walks over and he's like, are you armed? No. <laughs> Why'd you take so long to answer? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. I thought so about paranoid. lying for a second. Yeah. Yeah, I just love it. And, you know, he's like, all right, go that way. And then he's like, oh, I'm really hungry. And he's just like, he's, he can tell that, like, you know, I think he could pick up on Bill's sensitive side um, immediately. And when he's like, everyone's going to think this is an Arby's for a free lunch. And he's like, well, Arby's was, was a restaurant, so it wasn't free. It's just like. Their yeah, their chemistry is pretty palpable from the get go, and then it's just you know, I could talk about this episode forever. Like his pure unabashed joy to like take a shower, and then oh when they God, sit yeah. down for that lunch that they have together, and he's just like really excited about the, and he's like Murray Bartlett just has this great like whimsical face where he's like, wow, golly gee, like he's just really <laughs> excited about everything, and it's such a nice removal from the normal yeah, fucked up nature of this this world. Yeah, I mean, they work so well as a partnership, like a duo on screen. Like their their chemistry together is insane. And like even in the moments where they're just like laughing or like talking about nonsense, like it it really you it is like effortless. And, you know, that is that is acting right there. I mean, like Mm -hmm. these guys, these are two as far as I know, two like heterosexual men, like the fact that like no Murray Bartlett's gay. Oh, Murray Bartlett is gay. Oh, I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. Okay, cool. Got it. Didn't know that. Um. But Nick Offerman married to uh, fucking Megan, Megan, <laughs> Megan too yeah. or whatever. What's it? Yeah. Megan M- Mullaney or Milani? Yeah, yeah, Malali. right. They're, but, they're child's cute. Um, just, I mean, a couple of scenes, like, yeah, because we could talk about this episode forever. But, like, let's. I want to talk about a couple scenes that really just hit me. Like, I loved the piano scene at the very beginning. Like, he's like, I've been yeah. eyeing this the whole time we've been talking. Like, is this a vintage whatever? And he goes over and plays it. And he's like, fucking that you you play the piano like shit and he the, he does the same song but does it with like the right emotional beat and then they, so they have the whole scene with like they just like hold each other and then there's the, like it's just so beautiful and i love the scene of them like they're in bed together they're like flirting around but then you have the scene that the hard cut where it's like three years later and it, they're like, like oh, fuck you <laughs> yeah and my favorite my favorite line is he's like you're always walking around like the government are nazis and he's like they are Nazis. <laughs> He's like, well, they might be now, but they weren't then. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> God, it's so good. And then like uh, the yeah, dinner and, party with Tess and Joel is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So funny. Joel's like, get that gun out of my face. <laughs> yeah. The best is when they, w- yeah, when they um 
<laughs> he's got the gun on the table and Frank's just like, can you not? <laughs> he's just like, he's like, literally, can you not right now? And then we go inside and it's just Joel and Frank. Like, that's a good way to introduce their friendship, or if you even want to call it that. They don't really like each other, but they can work together and they can help each other. And I think that scene is really good. Again, in an episode that we're really invested in Bill and Frank, also continuing to bolster our understanding of Joel's necessity with survival, where he's just like chewing on the chicken. He's like, that fence has maybe a year before it starts falling apart. Like I can get you some really good wire and we can help each other. And um, I think that seems hilarious. And also just really, really smart way to make us understand their relationship because they don't see each other like uh like they do in the game so yeah and it it is interesting like that's one of those deviations like again i appreciated it where it's like they had this mutual understanding but it was through tess mostly like tess and joel were to kind of together and Mm -hmm. tess and frank had this relationship that was like it was like the couple relationship it's like oh i really like you i want to i want to make this couple i want to make this relationship work with like us as friends or whatever and it's it's yeah. like really wholesome it, it, this is like the most wholesome zombie drama that there's ever been I know. This, this single episode you think robert uh, kirkman's at home just like throwing his remote at the wall he's like god, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, yeah i don't know if you want to touch on any of the other stuff like i want to jump right to the i want to jump to the end i know i that think that's... yeah i think the um the I want to talk about the end sequence with Bill and Frank, obviously, and then the end sequence with Joel and Ellie. I will say the Raider um, assault on the complex was just really well orchestrated from like a production standpoint. And I actually genuinely thought for a second that they might do a twist of Rooney and kill Bill instead, no pun intended, and have Frank be the one that they encounter at the town. Obviously, that's not what we get. Um but I liked that sequence where he's like patching him up on the table. And, yeah. And he's just like, call Joel. And he's just like, all right. So like, we get it. Like they do have this. Now we've seen this development 10 years and they have this yeah. working partnership. The only thing I didn't like about that. And I've seen a couple people point this out is that they show Bill in the middle of the street firing I, on these guys. I was so mad. I was like, I where's was your like, fucking PO? Like, where's your, where's your yeah. point? Like get up high. Get to cover. <laughs> that was my one. I was my one frustration. I was like, Bill would not be that stupid to just stand in the middle of the street and open fire. Like, you gotta have. Here's the one him. thing though: I is he's cover. doing fine until Frank comes outside, and then he gets distracted, and that's when he gets hit. So maybe he's just like an ace sharpshooter that isn't taking bullets until he takes his eyes off the prize. Yeah, maybe. Either way, he should have been behind cover. You always gotta be behind cover. You gotta, gotta be behind cover. This is the Last of Us we're talking about. You idiot. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I don't, I totally agree there. It was amazing, but yeah, I definitely want to talk about, uh, Frank's last day, which would this moment on is where I just had tears in my eyes the whole time. And, uh, I don't want to talk about it too much cause I might cry again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment, that moment where he's sitting on the couch, like he expends that moment. Like, so it's like after the surgery, he wakes up and he, you, you see like, Frank's it's a flash. It's a flash forward or whatever, and they both ten have more like years. ten yeah. more years. Um, gray hair. They both look considerably older, but Frank is like in a wheelchair, so like you could imagine that he's he's dealing with some sort of. Yeah, they don't define it on purpose, but it, yeah. it could be um could be ALS, could be MS. Um, they said they didn't really think it was necessary to explain exactly what it was, but the yeah, point is, the point is that the, what Frank says later on, which is like they didn't have a cure for this even when the world was open. So like, why why should we go out for a doctor now? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and that scene is just brutal because it's like the whole dinner scene where he's like struggling to open up the pill thing or whatever. But then like you get that cut to him sitting on his wheelchair outside the bed and and uh, Bill's like – it's like, Jesus, what what the fuck are you doing? He's like, it took me all night to get up here, but he's like, I couldn't sleep or whatever. And they have that whole conversation on the couch where he's like, he's like, I I this is it. He's like, I I really can't stand living any longer. And they they talk about he's just like, I just want to have one last good day or whatever. And then there's that fucking montage of them just he's like, You're gonna we're gonna go to the boutique, we're gonna pick out clothes, you're gonna let me pick out whatever I want for you, and you're gonna fucking wear it. Yep. And then we're, and gonna, we're get, gonna get married. We're gonna get married. And I was like, I'm like, I'm sitting there on the couch, I'm like, I'm like, I'm clutching my chest. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Oh Jesus. John froze. Ron Swanson made us cry. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. insane. <laughs> that dude's that dude's legendary. Yeah, that yeah. dinner, that last dinner scene is really, really well done. I mean, it's tense, but it's like bitter tense. You know what I mean? It's like you see him put the pills in the wine and then he drains it and then Bill drains his. And then he's like, he's like, there was already pills in the bottle weren't there. And he's like, yeah, enough to kill a horse. And he's like, he's like that. My if my purpose is leaving this world, then I don't need to be around. I've already lived a full life, too. Which is really nice, a great sentiment in a way that like well game bill is is kind of like, you know, get the fuck out of my town. Like he's he's fine with being a loner. This one is not, which I think well, is a really good change. And it's a beautiful line too. Like it can't be understated because like you, you said kind of it you said some of it there, but like the line that really encapsulates it was he was like he's like, I'm old, I've lived a full life and you were my purpose. Yeah, and like, well, and in the letter too. The letter is what got me. Is when yeah, that got when me she's too. Reading it. <laughs> yeah, like and it's then, probably. Can we just say it's probably a good thing that we didn't watch this episode after the Bengals lost because we would have been probably. just an emotional puddle of nonsense yeah. sitting on the couch. Like I'm just like <laughs> I'm like literally yeah. open mouth crying at the at that moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like. So Ellie reads the suicide note, but Bill writes it in this instead of the game, which is they find Frank um, and he got bit. So he hung himself. And uh, the note's really beautiful. I love that. It's like he's like, I thought that I already experienced the best day of my life, which is when the pandemic hit, which is just so fucked up. Yeah. But like perfectly, Bill. And then he talks about how, like, you know, I was fortunate to find a purpose and I, I wasn't scared until I needed something to protect. And I did it and I kept it until he wasn't until he didn't want to be on this earth anymore. And so I had finished that up. So I'm leaving everything to you so that you can continue to protect your purpose, which when he names Tess in the letter and then oh, it's goes outside and starts crying, I was like, fuck. Yeah. That's, that's the that's moment rough. that got, that's the moment that got me more than anything else is Ellie reading that. And she stops before she reads the word Tess. And then Joel takes the yeah. letter, knows immediately what it is and walks outside and just has like a moment yeah. to himself. And, um, the other moment that really got me, like in, in a moment where I'm like open mouth crying, like sobbing tears, where Ellie's like, I knew that you would be the one to find this because you'd be the only one to get past the booby traps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I was just like, oh, man, I was like, I was crying and laughing at the same time. But um, yeah. Yeah. And then obviously, like, we get the. Here's how this whole thing's going to play out. You and me, we're going to do this. We're going to go find my brother. He used to work for the Fireflies. Rule number one, you don't bring up tests ever. Rule number two, don't tell anybody about your condition. They're going to think you're crazy and try and kill you. And then you do what I say when I say it. Repeat it. And she says what you say goes. And she doesn't repeat anything that he says, which is just like 
that's a Neil Druckmann original from the game, which is one thing that I love seeing. Um, yeah. And then they load up in the truck, man, and they drive off. But instead of listening to good old Hanky Wills, we get them Linda listening Ronstadt. to one time, which is really, really awesome. And I don't know if you saw this too, but Linda Rodstad's streams apparently spiked. Oh, I'm sure. After this she got the cape. <laughs> so she the got cape the cape pushed. Pushed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, and I was, immediately added that song to my playlist, and I was like, "Well, I know what's going on Kelly's Island 2023." <laughs> <laughs> if they make a, if they make an acoustic cover of Pedro Pascal singing it, or even Nick Offerman doing the piano version, I'm gonna be a puddle. So. Um, wait, we I'm, should say my favorite episode we, or moment from the episode we haven't talked about, which is the um, eating the strawberries. Oh, man, what a good scene that was. Holy shit. That was beautiful, dude. That's the Emmy clip right there, I think, is like, yeah, where he's just like, I traded Joel and Tess one of your guns like, for some Which seeds. gun? And he's like, it's a small one. It's fine. <laughs> and then they eat it. And then Nick Offerman does that giggle that he does, which is always really funny in, in Parks and Rec, but... Like it's here, like, it's like it's like gut wrenching because it's like yeah. it's like he's like happy. Crying. He's finally happy. Yeah. It's and they believable. It's just a perfect encapsulation of them um, and their relationship. So that's that's my favorite scene. That might be my favorite scene in the entire show so far, too. It's just them like which is crazy. Like it's it's literally two dudes eating strawberries in the dirt. And then like the previous episode. <laughs> The previous episode we had clickers, so like that's just this show's got some range. So it does have range. I uh, yeah, I love that scene too. Um, my favorite scene, which I alluded to earlier, was the last shot of the thing where it's like Ellie and Joel have that conversation. The they, and then it's yeah, them driving out where she says something or whatever, where it's like you know, they, they have the whole interchange where she's like, oh, it's like I'm being in a spaceship, and he's like seatbelt. Yeah. And then they start driving out with Linda Rodstadt playing, and then it slowly zooms out to the window. And I was like, mm. I was like, fucking Christ, this is like, and I just, the credits rolled and I just sat there in silence. I was like, this was one of the most beautiful episodes of television I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah. a round of applause, round of applause for fucking Druckmann and for Mason. Like, I, I just think that episode three, Here's the frustrating thing, and we don't—I don't want to spend any time talking about this because it's—it's it's horseshit. This episode's getting reviewed bombed like crazy. Yeah, because you know, homophobes. Yeah, because yeah. people don't like gay people for some fucking yeah. reason. People are assholes, but yeah. uh, Jesus Christ! I mean, doesn't this, matter. The real—the real ones know what's up. I mean, this episode will win Emmys. Like, I guarantee you. Like, this is like, this is just this is something I've never seen on TV before, ever. So. I can't wait for them to follow up something similar to this with with Ellie and Riley at the mall. I think that's going to be the other standout episode of the season, but time will so tell. Too. Yeah. We also have, I mean, think about everything we have left to go. Spoilers for the rest of Last of Us, the show, if you've listened this far. We have David to go. We have Wyoming to go. We have the hospital at the end. Jesus. We have the giraffes. We have so much the giraffes, to go. The giraffes are going to be tight. I mean... Yeah, him his reunion with Tommy is going to be dope, and we have Henry and Sam, which is going to be oh brutal. Um, Jesus <laughs> yeah, winter winter is going to be check wild. gut check reaction. Do you think we get any ish in this? Like Ishmael's yes. story? You think so? Yes. Oh I my do. god, fucking do take yeah. me, daddy! I can't yeah. wait to see that <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if there is like flashbacks to the sewer community oh my before God, they get so in there. awesome yeah holy shit that'd be awesome i can't wait for the stalkers that's gonna be fucked 
But yeah. Okay. Yes. That's it so far. Looking forward Jesus. to talking more about it. So we went about 50 minutes, 55 minutes on Last of Us 1, 2, and 3. I think that that's probably pretty apt. I was honestly thought we were going to go more than an hour, so I think we did pretty good. Okay, cool. Well, I think that it's safe to say that both John and I are huge fans of these episodes. Um, Jesus, can't wait to see what they have in store for us next. Like I said, if this if this keeps up, we're in for a fucking treat, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, getting out of Pittsburgh. God, that's the worst part of the game. It's the worst. They're just like think- nonstop. But I am looking forward to the... We met in the springtime when uh, blossoms uh, at the beginning of the episode next week. That should hopefully be fucking lit. Yeah. They show a little bit in the, the do you watch the previews for yeah, when he's like I did. when she's like, Are we gonna stop and help him? And he's like, Nope. <laughs> he just like puts the seatbelt. He on. ain't even hurt. <laughs> he ain't even hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I uh prediction is I think next week you're probably right. It might be like the lower episode where it's like we we've just followed up three crazy episodes. So we're gonna have an episode where it's a little bit more just them surviving. But I still think it's gonna be an episode that you're gonna really appreciate because it's gonna be Pittsburgh and Bloater and everything there. So Yeah. Well, stay tuned, everybody. Radiovania, thank you for listening to us uh, talk about this one. We will continue to review Last of Us as the show goes on. Um, you know, shows might be a little sporadic here and there, but we'll at least try to review a couple episodes in a bunch together if we're not able to do weekly episodes. I know we, a couple of us got some trips planned in the next few weeks, but we will we will be here to talk Last of Us for all of you because we know that you love hearing us talk about it. So for sure. All right. Now that we're done crying. It's time to talk about the Oscars. Our favorite. The slap skirts. What'd you call it? Slap again. How many over under? That's going to be a prop bet. I guarantee it is over under on how many slap jokes they're going to be at the Oscars this year. Over under. I say six. Six. I was going to say like two. No, no. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. But yeah, we're here. We're, we're going to finish this episode out strong. It's been a good one so far, chock full of great content. Um, but let's talk about the Oscars because everyone knows that John and Zach, if if anyone was ever to say anything about us, it's that these guys are, are film guys, right? We're, we're up on the movies. We know, we know how to pick them. We know how to pick them. We know the history. So, yeah. We know how everything works. That's right. So we're going to go through some categories for the Oscars. We'll end with Best Picture, kind of go through some of these big ones. So um, we'll start at the bottom and kind of work our way to the top. And we don't have to really spend too much time on many of these, but I kind of want to get your gauge on these, maybe some hot take reactions. Um, maybe, you know, I don't really ha- I don't have like a notebook or anything like that, but maybe do you have like a spare piece of paper? Do you want to record any like hot takes that we want to? I'll just put it in the show doc. Put it in the show doc? Okay. I'm going to have you – I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to have that be your doc. I will be okay. the scribe. I can do this. Okay. And we're we're only – as a – you know, <clears throat> hey, Academy, we, uh, we're, we, we love everybody, right? We love all these people. So no one is – We uh, love everybody everywhere all at once. <laughs> all of them all at once, and we love it. But no. – we're only gonna wrote, write down our hot takes for the categories that we described. So that if you know, sound, you know, for um, 
editing stuff like that like other minor awards you know like not, you guys are not minor to us you're major you're jonathan major to us we love all so of you you're just a major same. award exactly Yep. So if we don't cover your category, we apologize, but that doesn't mean that you don't mean something to us because you do. But yep. we're going to start at the bottom and work our way to the top. So uh, I want to know, you give me the thumbs up, thumbs down if you want me to even read the categories from this, if you want to give any awards start to this, okay? with animated feature. Oh, whoa. Okay, wait, hold on a second. I'm going to not do, I'm, I, I like that. I'm not going to start there because I'm going to go from the bottom of the variety article and work my way to the top. Okay. So give me a thumbs up, thumbs down if you want to even give a pick for this category, okay? Mm-hmm. Best sound. The Batman. Okay. Yeah, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, Batman, Elvis, and Top Gun. You want to go ahead and just give best sound to Batman? Absolutely. I think it's got to win in a couple categories, and I think that this actually might be one of those categories where it does win. So do you want to write this down as a Zach and John? Uh, I got like Zach I got and John both pick it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Z, yeah, yeah. ZJ. 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 Uh, all right, best original score. Here we go. All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, Babylon by Justin Hurwitz, uh, The Banshees of Inishirin by Carter Burwell, Everything Everywhere All at Once by Son Lux, and The Fablemans by John Williams, which I didn't realize until just now that John Williams did that score, and I am very disappointed um, <laughs> by that because I did not think the score was anything super crazy. Uh, any strong picks here for best original score? I think it's going to be... All Quiet on the Western Front. Interesting. Or Banshees. I'm going to give my pick to uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, actually, here. Okay. I wouldn't say that's the thing that stands out the most to me in that movie, except for the bagel scene. Sucked into... But what about uh, We're a Family? That's not a culinary. <laughs> That's That would just be music, right? That's part of the score, though. Randy Newman. Mm, we'll see. If that's the Oscars clip, I'll eat crow. Okay. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Makeup and hairstyling. Um, I don't really. I think it's gonna be Elvis, but I don't really. Oh wow. Think we need to spend too much time on it. I mean, okay. come on. Go ahead. Exactly no, like you Elvis. go ahead. I'm not even gonna read the other categories. You just write that down. Is John picks Elvis as best makeup and hairstyling? Yeah. He literally I honestly, like I wouldn't be shocked if Batman took this too. Everyone's wearing ba- suits except for one guy. <laughs> but you got all the cops and the and the people. No, wait, you're right. Street. The penguin. Oh penguin? yeah, because it's makeup. Yeah, yeah, it is the Batman. I'll still stand by my take, but are you going with the Batman? I'm going with Batman. Yeah. Well, Wakanda Forever is also nominated here, and I think that this is one of the categories it could win as well. No, I have the category they're going to win for. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're going to skip live action short. I've not seen any of these. Um, Costume design. Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Miss Harris Goes to Paris. This I'm going to give to Elvis. I'm going to give this to Black Panther. Wow, okay. Really for those funeral scenes where everybody looks dope. <laughs> okay. Best animated why feature there, film. Why wasn't Nope nominated for anything? Because the Academy hates black people. That's interesting. Because we just talked we about We love you, Wakanda Academy. Forever. Please give us tickets to the Oscars. We, we love the Oscars. Everybody. I would just get drunk and be like, you're all racist. 
I'd get on stage just like moonlight. (laughs) (laughs) I want to recount. (laughs) Stop the steal. La La Land. All right. Best animated feature film. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. How mad would you be if it was Puss in Boots? I'd be pretty fucking furious. Are you Although, go with Marcel? My pick is my hopeful pick is Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. Yeah, but the likely pick I think might be Del Toro's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. You still haven't watched that, right? No, I will. After I watch everything else. <laughs> Okay, you got those written down? Yep. Best visual effects. I think this is one we could put a pick on. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick. Okay, yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Batman, Black Panther, and Top Gun Maverick. I'm going to give this one to The Batman as well. I think it's going to win Best Visual Effects. All that water at the end. And the scene where Robert Pattinson just bends Zoe Kravitz over a table. That's a visual effect right there. <laughs> oh, wait, that, sorry. That was a fever dream. I'm sorry. All right, you got those written down? Yes, I do. Production design. We can quickly do this. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, Babylon, Elvis, and the Fablemans. Production design. This is an interesting one to me. I I'm think go that Babylon might win something here. I might, I might give Babylon production design. Okay. I'm going to give it to All Quiet on the Western Front. Have you seen that yet? Nope. Me neither. I'm just, dreading it. Has like a, it has like 10 nominations. So I feel like it's going to be like Dune. It's just going to sneak in a bunch of wins. Okay. Best yeah. original song. Are you ready for this one? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Applause from Tell It Like a Woman. Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. Lift Me Up from Black Panther. Natu Natu from RRR. And This Is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once. I gotta go with my girl Riri. I think I think it's it's gonna be Black Panther for me. Mm. I'm actually gonna pick Hold My Hand from Top Gun. From Top Gun? Because they didn't give it to Shallow. Oh wait, no, they did give it to Shallow. That's right, she's a That's a good one. Okay. Best film editing. Banshees mm. of Inishirin. Elvis. I don't know if I have any stake in this one. I mean, I'm going to give my pick for this one. Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. For editing. It's probably uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm probably yeah. going to give this one to... Uh, I'm going to say that this is one of the the awards that Tar takes. Okay. And by the way, we're, I'm gonna we're going to fill out our Oscar brackets, too. Because I want to see... We're, we're, I'll send you that eventually, and we can fill it out and read it when we do the oscar winners episode i got those cool written down um we're gonna skip documentary because we're uncultured swine best cinematography i watched the shack documentary this year that wasn't nominated <laughs> <laughs> no that was not it was not uh all right cinematography all quiet on the western front bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. I don't know. I'm still baffled as to why Elvis is nominated in this category. I'm baffled that 
uh, Banshees of Inisherin was not nominated. Um, yeah, it seems like I'm going to go with All Quiet on the Western Front for this one. too. I'm also going to take All Quiet on the Western Front on this one. So, yeah, double up on that one for us. Um, I just don't Elvis Elvis. I don't know. <laughs> don't. This has everything to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. That was good. <laughs> Yeah, Banshee's Vinishirin to me is the best cinematography of the of I last am year. I'm surprised that, that the Batman so was nominated for this. The Batman was Greg Fraser that did Dune and yeah. Rogue One, and I think that movie looks better than Elvis too. And even even though it's in the rain all the time, even though it's in the rain, <laughs> something in, in the, the rain. Way. Why did that not get nominated for best original song? Nirvana, something. It's in- not original for this, but yeah, that would have been sick. Maybe they'll play it at the Oscars. Wouldn't that be awesome? Boom, 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 boom. Best original screenplay. Banshees of Inishirin. Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Fablemans. Tar and Triangle of Sadness. I think it's got to be Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm going to give this to Banshees of Inishirin. Okay. And remind you, remind everybody else out there, I'm guessing what I what I think is going to win, not what I want to win here. Yeah, me too. Okay. Best adapted screenplay. Here we go. All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. Women Talking. I'm actually going to agree with you here. They're going to be like, fuck Harvey Weinstein. Yep, <laughs> you got to give everybody. it to everybody. <laughs> yeah, so women talking. I'm gonna give it to there. Okay, I hate here when we they go. do adapted screenplays for sequels. I know that that's how you sneak it in, but you're not really adapting anything. You're just writing a sequel. Yeah. Okay, best supporting actress. Here we go. We're in the meat Ooh, of it boy. now. Yep. Angela Bassett for Black Panther. Hong Chow for The Whale. Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inisherin. Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Hsu for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm going Angela Bassett. I am the leader of the greatest nation in the world. Yeah, it's going to be that. Both show. But I want it to be Stephanie Hsu from Everything Everywhere All at Once because I think she's a delight. I'm going to – okay, yeah, this is what I think is going to win. I'm going to give this to Carrie Condon for the Banshees. This is what I think is going to win. What I would love to win is Stephanie Hsu. I think that would be the craziest upset, um, awesome, like, underdog pick, like, first-time big name – like, first-time small-name actress. First-time, long-time. Yeah. Yeah. So – but I'm going to give it to Carrie Condon. I think that the Banshees, I'm trying to imagine. So anytime I picture these awards, I imagine the clip they play along with it when they get nominated and they like do the whole thing. And I'm imagining the clip from Banshees where she's like talking to Colin Farrell and like having like that emotional breakdown in the movie. So I'm going to give it to Carrie Condon there. Cool. Here we go. Best supporting actor. Brendan Gleeson for the Banshees of Inisherin. Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. Judd Hirsch for the Fablemans, Barry Keegan for the Banshees of Inisherin, and Kihi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Jonathan, it's gotta be our boy. It's, it's our be boy. boy. I'm picking it. It's gotta be our boy. 
I'm picking it. It's Kihi Kwan for everything everywhere. It's going all the way. He's made he's made the comeback, and then he's gonna be in Dial of Destiny in three months. I think this is gonna be the emotional moment of the Oscars. I think that this is all. Um, I think this is like the easiest betting ever. If there were odds for this, I would bet a hundred thousand dollars on Kihi Kwan winning this. I just think that it is such an easy pick for the Academy to say, like, we want to recognize this guy who's had such a storied career in film. And I think that it's just, it, it just sets it up perfectly. Like his emotional, his speech at the, uh, the fucking like golden globes or whatever, not the golden globes. Was it the golden globes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I think that the Academy is looking at that and salivating being like, we want that guy to just represent us. We want, we want him. <laughs> yeah. One of us, one of us. Okay. Best lead actress. Here we go, baby. Kate Blanchett in Tar. Ana de Armas in Blonde. Shock. Andrea Risenborough into Leslie. Andrea Riseborough. Andrea Riseborough. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You're good. Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. And Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ooh. This is tight, a tough tight one. Race, tight this race. is a t- this is a t- this is a t- this is this is a t- this is a t- <laughs> I think so. Here's the thing. I think this is where you have to decide if everything everywhere all at once wins best picture. Because if it doesn't, I think that they could give this to Michelle Yeoh. That's just my opinion. I think they're gonna do that thing where they like they don't give it to every category. You know what I mean? So it's like maybe they don't recognize the film in best picture, but they give it to the two leads. For Key Kwan and Michelle Yeoh. She's never won before. First time nominated. Kate Blanchett's won a shitload of times. I know people really love her in that movie. I, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's on my list begrudgingly. I, it sounds miserable, but I really <laughs> sure don't care. Really... I know people liked it. I don't think Ana de Armas is gonna win. I know no, that they like it, no. but I think I'm gonna have to go with Michelle. I, I I'm gonna go I'm also going with Michelle Williams. I think that it's gonna be I can no, see I'm going the Michelle Yao. Michelle Yao. I can see the headline. Oh, you wait. You're going with Michelle Williams? No. Oh, Michelle. Yeah. 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 Me too. You just said Michelle Williams. You're confused. Oh shit. Sorry. I'm drunk. Um, I'm gonna go with Michelle. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Because I think here's my here's my reasoning. Is much like a football bet or whatever. I can see the art the art the headlines on Monday where it's Kihi Kwan and Michelle Yeoh holding both of their Oscars both and like Oscars. holding each other. And arm that's and like, be, yep. yeah, that's going to be like the award is that like maybe everything ever where all at once doesn't get best picture, but it's like both the lead actors in the movie win best actor. I hope so. And can you fucking imagine how good those speeches are going to be? I'm oh, like, are great? I'm getting torqued up just thinking about it. Oh, yeah. OK, here we go. We're almost there. Best lead actor. This is an interesting one. I already got my. I already typed it in. <laughs> Austin Butler for Elvis. Yeah. Colin Farrell <laughs> boom, for the boom, Banshees boom, of Inisherin. Brendan Fraser for the Whale. Paul Mescal mm. for After Sun, and Bill Nighy for Living. So it's really it's really a three horse race here, in my opinion. And I think Austin Butler's gonna sneak it out. This is gonna be the Hollywood people give it to Hollywood person. Thing you may dig, you know. Colin Farrell probably should win. I think the Brendan Fraser push for the whale hasn't been as strong as it should be because it should be better. I've heard the movie's like just okay. Yeah, I've heard it's okay. Yeah, but I'm gonna go with Austin Butler so that they could do the 
boom, 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 boom. Is he gonna sing? Have they have they announced that? I don't think so. How cool would that be? What if he gets on stage and sings like shallow? Oh my god. <laughs> it's like I thought about singing Elvis, but I want to sing something really powerful to me. I could buy you flowers. <laughs> I could hold your hand. <laughs> um all right, I'm gonna take a wild shot here on this one because you know this doesn't we haven't filled out our Oscar brackets yet, but I'm actually gonna pick I'm picking Brendan Fraser. You're going for it. All I'm right. going for it. I think that this is a this is another story pick too. I think it's just like the the fact that Brendan Fraser has like done this role and like you know, had such a tumultuous Hollywood career. I think that this is going to be, this is like, you know, my pick forever was going to say Colin Farrell in the Banshees. And I think that that per, for me is the best performance of the year is his role in that movie. But I think Brendan Fraser sneaks it out and ends up winning best picture at the Oscars. Okay. Okay. Best director. We're almost at the end. Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Uh The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Ostlund for The Triangle of Sadness. This is an interesting one. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Because Again, this I, all depends on what you think they're going to choose for Best Picture. Yeah, because I, for me, Best Director, I might put either Steven Spielberg or Martin McDonough here. Like, I don't know what to pick here, but I don't think that the Daniels win for Best Director. No, I don't think so either. Um, hmm. I don't think Spielberg's going to win, though, honestly. I think it might, I think it might be, I think it might be Marty McDonough. I think, I think I'm at, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Banshees yeah. boy. I'm I'm in your camp. I'm going to take that one too. I'm going to take that bet. I'm going to take Martin McDonough for Banshees as best director. Cool. Right, the big boy. It's the big boy. Best picture. All quiet on the Western Front. Avatar, The Way of Water. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. Is there a world, real quick, is there a world where the Batman should be a best picture nom over Avatar? It's embarrassing. It's honestly embarrassing. The Academy should be ashamed of themselves. Um, the Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Mm. John Swanathan Parker. How you feel? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't think this is Big Jim's night. I'm going to do process of elimination here. I don't think it's going to be all quiet on the Western front. I also don't think it's going to be Elvis, but that would be wild. Wouldn't that be the wildest thing ever? Yeah, that would be insane. Uh, I don't think it's going to be woman talking or triangle of sadness. There's an interesting case to be made for Top Gun Maverick, but ultimately I'm going to go with no, because I don't think they want Tom Cruise on stage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you think he's going to be at the oscars is he allowed to because of his religion <laughs> yeah he's allowed to be there <laughs> are you saying that scientology doesn't allow him to be there no comment okay um 
my two picks are either Banshees or Everything Everywhere. I think those are the two front runners for me where I think that either one of those could walk away with it. Um, what if this is the one with the what if this is where the Fablemans like sneaks in the green book style? My, that's yeah. my concern, man, is that I think that the Fablemans might sneak it in and be the best picture. I'm uh, here's my OK, I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to try to wish it into the universe and I'm going to say everything everywhere all at once. But I don't feel confident. I don't feel I confident. Th- either. I think it's a three way race. I don't feel confident either, but I'm also going to pick that. Or maybe I should pick Banshees to be like a little bit different. That way our brackets are a little bit different. So you think that Banshees is going to win director and best picture? Oof. No. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Best picture. Yeah, dude. Come on. We're going to ride or die. I mean, I'm ride or die. We're best like Dom and Letty year, out here. Best movie of last year. I think that... Um, it just seems like it has all the gas going behind it, man. It's like it's like the fucking seems like it's like it the Bills before they crumbled split. to the Bengals. It's like everyone was like, oh, the Bills, the Bills, the Bills, Super Bowl, Bills, 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 and then the Bengals just absolutely ate their lunch. So yeah, good stuff. All right, I agree. I think I think uh, this could just be one of those years, man, where it's like. It is that popular, but it is also able to be backed up by stuff. So, Okay. Cool. So that's our Oscars predictions. You can reference this in a couple weeks. The Oscars air on uh, – it's like – isn't it Super Bowl weekend? There's no way it's also on Super Bowl Hold Sunday. Hold on a second. I think it's earlier than that. No, it's March 12th. So yeah, it's Super Bowl or no March twelfth. So it's a couple weekends after the Super Bowl. So we will be back in March, and we'll see what happens. All right, everybody, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there while we were switching over. It looks like uh, Skype is trying to kill this podcast faster than we can do it ourselves. So yeah, we got pulled um, into the multiverse. Yeah. Uh, but while we got pulled in the multiverse, James Gunn talked to us for a little bit, and he, he sat yeah, us he down. he came by. He was like, hey, what's up? I'm imagining it was like the scene from Ragnarok where it's Loki and Thor sitting in uh, in New Asgard in like the banks of Nova Scotia or whatever, and, and he's like, this could be Asgard. This could be the DCU. You oh, know? and by the way, your your sister's alive, and I've been and, imprisoning her for years. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. – the last thing that we're going to end this podcast on, this has been a thick boy, so appreciate y'all for listening this long. But we're going to talk about the DCU. And yeah, this is a moment. It's done. Almost. John, this is a moment. And I wish I had champagne, but all I have is this Aldi bottle of wine that I'm going to pop and just say, yeah. our we've talked about this. You can go to listen to every episode of the DCEU in review. This is a big moment for our friendship because for the longest time in our friendship, we've mm-hmm. been talking about the DCEU, but now James Gunn is controlling it, and it's now the DCU. It's the DCU. It's done. The DCU will be ending later this year. Yep. Can't wait to talk about Black Manta in Aquaman The Lost Kingdom as we close the books on the DCEU in review and uh, begin a new venture of a shared DC universe that James Gunn revealed today, July 30 or uh, January 31st, 2023, that they envision, and by they I mean him and Peter Safran, to be a shared universe across games, television, animation, and movies. If you play Superman in a movie, 
odds are you're going to be voicing Superman in shows. You're going to be voicing Superman in video games. You're going to be appearing on television shows. They want it all to be one connected universe, which I think yep. is bold. But fortune favors the bold, doesn't they, Zach? Fortune favors the bold. I mean, here's the thing, man, is that like we have to make an executive decision now. Where do we end the DCEU in review? Do we end it with Aquaman 2? Yeah. Okay. Unless they rope those into the DCU, but it doesn't it doesn't sound like I think we should end it with the Flash because that's sound he literally says in this video it's going to rewrite the, the DC DCU. universe. Yeah, so maybe we should end well, end on the Flash. I don't know. I'm not ready, that out I'm not ready we... for it to be over. All, the, all this time, all this tumultuous drama, I was like, I want this to end. But now that it's here, I'm not sure if I want it to be over. I'm not. I'm scared. Right. No more Jolly still... Ranchers. No more Abomination. No more. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't know what our life looks like without the DCEU in it. I'm scared. What if you never love me anymore? Oh, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> You know what though we can always we can always look back fondly on uh, on those films. We'll always have parents. We'll always you know some of <laughs> some of them will be <laughs> some of them will be continuing on somehow some way it still will be connected. Even though it's being reset by the Flash, it'll be very distantly connected to the multiverse. I mean, clearly Amanda Waller is going to get the hang around. So, yep. What were the odds on that of all the DCEU actors and all the gin joints in all the world? They were like, Viola Davis, that's our person. <laughs> She's coming back. Uh, yeah, all right. So here, let me let me read through this a little bit. And I'm going to take a, a little sip of water really quickly. <clears throat> this comes from The Hollywood Reporter. DC Slate unveiled. And this comes from today. January 31st, 2023, the year of our Lord, James Gunn got on a video today and he talked to all of us people about what's going on with the DC Universe. He promised he would bring some news in January. He waited till the last possible fucking second. Uh, and fine. here we are. Okay, here we he go. Gave it to us before pod night. So he did. He did give it to us before pod night. So here we go. <clears throat> A new Batman movie without Robert Pattinson but featuring Bruce Wayne's murdered son. A new Superman movie on the release schedule. A Game of Thrones-style drama set in Wonder Woman's home island of the mascara. And an animated series already in production. Wait, what? That's just part of what will be coming to theaters and TV screens as part of DC studio bosses James Gunn and Peter Safran's new slate. The pair have been busy in the three months since taking over and combining the film and television slate of DC properties, including live action and animation as well as gaming. They've revamped the way the movie and TV sides do business, cutting ties with projects and creators. A writer's room was formed to find an overall story that will launch a unified DC universe. Creators have been approached and a plan, at least part of one, for what is being billed as Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters, was formulated Bingo. and a slate of projects put into development. Now, after ambitiously promising fans that they would have something to show them by February 1st, Gunn and Safran have unveiled the first part of their slate. It's a combination of big, well-known heroes along with lesser-known characters who may just become big like the once-obscure Guard Guardians of the Galaxy films over at Marvel Studios. The duo shared their plans Monday. That's today, uh, yesterday, over at Marvel, uh, in a petite and tidy screening room on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank. Quote, 
One of our strategies is to take our diamond characters, which is Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and we use them to prop up other characters that people don't know, explained Gunn. Added Peter Safran, quote, to build those lesser-known properties into the diamond properties of tomorrow, end quote. While plans may yet shift, caution the duo, here's the initial slate of projects for Chapter 1 in the order they're planned to appear. Fucking so man. how do you want to handle this? Do you want me to read each one of these things and kind of get, do we want to do like thumbs up, thumbs down, classic Radiovania style? Yeah, I, I would like to say, though, before we dive into it, I'm a majority thumbs up. So I don't know if necessarily that's going to be as fun of a game as it normally is, but there's definitely some exciting things to talk about. I'm sure there are some things that you saw that you were like, what the fuck? You know, and so that's and that's exciting for me to talk about a little bit, too. But I was pretty impressed with this array of slating that they're, they've already shown. I love every decision that they've made in terms of not affecting the Batman Stuff wow. like that. I think that that's really smart. Um, I was a little nervous when they were gonna try to pull Robert Pattinson into like the Justice League. I was like, eh, maybe not. Maybe it'll do that. <laughs> so, well, uh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to what's coming out for DCU. Okay, so then maybe we don't do thumbs up, thumbs down, but rather, if you want to interject, just go ahead and interject. How's that sound? Yeah, and I can you know provide a little bit of backdrop if you have Zach has questions. That would be great. Well, Zach has questions about a lot of this shit because I don't know any of this shit that's happening right sure. now. Sure. Okay, here we go. Creature Comrades, a seven-episode animated series written by James Gunn that is already in production. A team of classic monsters assembled to fight Nazis. This is a modern take on the concept. The voice actors have yet to be cast, but the, char- the executives are looking to find people who can voice the animated characters and also portray the live-action versions when the anti-heroes show up in movies and TV series. Zach has questions. What yeah. is this? <laughs> Creature Commandos was like, um, is a book. I think it came out in like the 70s or the 80s. And it was a team of monsters, like the classic Hollywood monsters, like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein's monster, robots, things like that. And their job was they were uh, they were like the Dirty Dozen and they went to fight Nazis. So that's that's the logline pitch there. So this is like Suicide but, Squad, but it's like old monster movie characters? Yeah, pretty much. And I'm guessing you're all the fuck in on this one. That's, I mean, this is the one that I have the least familiarity with. I think this is one, this is the only thing that I'm in about is James Gunson that he wrote every episode. So I'm sure it's going to be enjoyable. I just don't know anything about it, you know? And it's an animated series, though. So are you placing much, yeah. like, I don't know. Like, what's, well, what's your gauge here? That's the what's thing, your, though. What's they're all connected, but uh, I don't know. I'm sure it'll be good. We'll see. Okay. We'll see when we see more. I want to know who is who are the voice actors. You know what I mean? So like, I, I kind of want to wait to see more. I bet okay. you this is where they sneak in like a Batista or something like that. Interesting. Okay. Next up was Waller. In a spinoff of Gun's own HBO Max series, Peacemaker Viola Davis will return as the ruthless and morally ambiguous head of government task force is being written by Crystal Henry, Watchmen, and Jeremy Carver, the creator of the Doom Patrol TV series. I think this will be pretty cool. So, I mean, we'll, this is – it was kind of weird that they didn't talk about where Peacemaker Season 2 is going to fall in terms of that production. But since James Gunn's been pretty busy, it was cool for him to say that, like, this would be kind of continuing on the fact that Adebayo – you know, announced to the world that Amanda Waller was running Task Force X and that this this will be kind of like a 
you know, political intrigue, but with a little bit of team peacemaker involved. That'd be cool. Okay. I just, you know, it's wild that Viola Davis has, has made it all the way to the cut. You yeah. know what I mean? Since all the way back in Suicide Squad. So. Yep. And I That's mean, the craziest we shouldn't, bit. we shouldn't discount our boy, Crystal Henry, who worked on Watchmen, which is one of the greatest comic book adaption things ever. So. Yeah. Should be pretty sick. Okay. Now we get into the big guns, baby. Superman Legacy. The movie featuring yeah. the Man of Steel that Gunn is writing and may direct, although no commitments on that end have been made. While the two previous titles are meant to be aperitifs, in Saffron's words, Superman is the true kickoff for the duo, the duo's DCU plans. Quote, it's not an origin story. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way. He is kindness in a world that thinks that kindness is old-fashioned. A release date of July 11th, 2025 has been penciled in. Hell yeah, dude. New Superman. So one of the things that they had been speculating about for a while, right? So, and this is obviously um, not going to be Henry Cavill, as has been previously talked about on this show. Yeah. Um, have you, you haven't read All-Star Superman, have you? No, I have not. Okay. That's kind of loosely what All-Star Superman's about. We'll see how much of it they actually borrow. But I'm definitely like if we were playing thumbs up, thumbs down, I'd be way thumbs up on this. I think that's pretty much what you and I were both looking forward to, right, is them starting out a new universe around a character that hasn't necessarily been given as much of the light of day as he probably should have. Yeah. And this is a big prediction for both of us. And we talked about this originally when like the DC, like the DCEU news was breaking with James Gunn. Like we talked about like what they were they going to do next. And I think both you and I decided that the, the smartest move forward was to start it off with a Superman movie. So how are you feeling about this Superman legacy? I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, James Gunn writing a Superman movie, as we talked about when this was more confirmed when Cal was on the pod. That just sounds like such a wild ride that I can't yeah. can't wait to see. Show me the weirder side of Superman. I'm I'm here for it. It's hard for me to imagine, but I I can't deny that his he's got fucking talent. So, um, if he's yeah. directing a Superman movie or writing it, like it's I mean, I'm so curious to see what a James Gunn Superman movie is like. It just it sounds crazy to me. Yeah, we'll see. And they also okay. said uh, in the Variety article that um, the J.J. Abrams, Ta-Nehisi Coates Superman project is also still in the works, but no other information has been given, which is pretty interesting. That and is interesting. you didn't mention this at the top, but at the top of uh, Gunn's post, he said that the Batman and the Joker films fall under the uh, category of Elseworlds, which was a DC comic publishing print for any type of book that wasn't in the main continuity. I think that's in this article, but we can discuss that now just to get that out of the way. Yeah, but sure. you summed it up perfectly. Yeah, so stuff like he mentioned that uh, like uh, Todd Phillips Joker stuff with Folly Adu and then the Batman, which they announced as a 25, 2025 release date, and it's called The Batman Part 2. How yeah. hard did that get your jimmies going? You want to know what's crazier than that, though, is like that got me pretty hard. But that means we get a Batman and Superman movie in 2025. And Avengers Secret Wars. <laughs> so that's going to that's gonna be a big year. 2025. So 20... I'll be 31 years old. Yep. Still watching men tights at work. That makes me very depressed. But... <laughs> I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Next up. 
Lanterns. This is the yeah. one for me, baby. This is the one. Yeah. Here we go. Greg Berlanti's Long in the Works Green Lantern TV series has been scrapped, and Gunn and Saffron have parted ways with a longtime DC series steward. In its place will be a new take on the Space Corps with power rings. Quote, our vision for this is very much in the vein of True Detective. It's terrestrial-based. Will feature prominent Lantern heroes Hal Jordan and John Stewart as one of the most important shows they have in development. Quote, this plays a really big role in leading into the main story we are telling across film and TV. Yeah. Space you tell me fish. Green Lantern and True Detective, and I'll show you a man whose erection is, is bigger than the Empire State <laughs> Building. Yeah, this sounds sick. Honestly, it's going to be really cool. I, I really am so in. This is the this is the one, right, that it's like they didn't get Green Lantern right with Hal Jordan. So it's like, let's go second at bat. What are we going to do? Why don't we take it fucking seriously and make them actually be space cops solving space murders? I'm here. I'm here for it. Let's go. And I say just skip to the, skip to it. Just cast uh, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Oh <laughs> well, John Stewart's black, so you got to get a black actor in there. <laughs> you just have Woody Harrelson do blackface. That's fine. <laughs> Redacted. There's going to be carnage. <laughs> <laughs> he could be Sinestro. Oh, no. No. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you with my yellow ring. <laughs> like it's oh five God. o'clock and five o'clock. So I start drinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm dude. I am so excited for this lantern. I love that pitch. True detective with the green lantern core. Like sign me yeah. the fuck up. I'm so excited yeah. for that. That's going to be awesome. Okay. Next up the authority. Hmm. A movie based on a team of superheroes with the rather extreme methods of protecting the planet, first originated in the late 1990s under an influential imprint known as Wildstorm, run by artists and now head of DC Publishing, Jim Lee. Quote, one of the things that DCU is n- is that it's not just a story of heroes and villains, said Gunn. Quote, it's n- not every film and TV show is going to be about good guy versus bad guy. Giant things from the sky come and good guy wins. There are white hats, black hats, and gray hats. End quote. Added Saffron. Quote, they're kind of like Jack Nicholson and a few good men. They know they know that you want them on the wall, or at least they believe that. End quote. Uh, John, what is what the fuck is the authority? Um, so the authority is kind of like a mismatched group of like different people with abilities. Imagine it's like the Eternals, but they're not robots. So it's like it's like people that know that they have to work behind the scenes to allow specific, you know, cosmic entities or even humanity to survive and stuff like that. And so sometimes they do things that you might not agree with, but they're, they're trying to get it all done in the background. It's like the Illuminati sort of. Okay, so It'll, this you... will be one. This will be like their guardians of the galaxy, not in terms of tone, but in terms of like if they can stick the line on this one and make people care about people like Midniner and stuff like that. That'll be impressive. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and, and you know the Wildstorm books back in the '90s with Jim Lee. I mean, they're they were really fun comic books. I wouldn't say they're like the best thing DC has to offer. So this is the one that leaves them a lot of creative freedom. I think. Okay. I wasn't Paradise. over the moon about this announcement, but you know, again, we'll wait to see more. Sure. Paradise Lost. 
The duo described this HBO Max series as a Game of Thrones-style drama set on the all-female island that is Wonder Woman's birthplace at Themyscira. Filled with political intrigue and scheming between power players, it takes place before the events of the Wonder Woman films. What did you think about this? I thought this was really interesting. They're like, they want to introduce or reintroduce them as when when they don't know what they're going to do with Wonder Woman yet. <laughs> I. So this goes hand in hand with um, the last one, The Authority, where it's like a couple of announcements where I was like, I don't. I don't find much excitement, honestly. But I'm also not the big DC. I'm not the big DC comics book guy. Like I like. Yeah. Certain DC comics, I like DC comics characters, but like this to me, I was like, I don't know. I was like, no, mm, I didn't, I didn't find much excitement for this, but did you? Well, Paradise Lost is one of my favorite Wonder Woman comics. It's about a civil war that takes place on Themyscira between different, different tribes of all the different Wonder Woman, essentially. Um, it'll be interesting what they do to kind of like skirt skirt around the Diana stuff. Like is Hippolyta going to be the main character or Artemis characters like that? I would say this is the one that had me the most like interesting because it's like, they didn't want to ignore that part of the world. Cause obviously it's called what chapter one, gods and monsters monsters. You have to introduce the Themyscira and Pantheon. Right. It's, it's a big part of it. The Amazons, but we'll see. We'll see more. I'm skeptical. I don't necessarily love when things are compared to Game of Thrones, but me neither. <laughs> maybe I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll come to find out. I mean, if it's going to be on HBO Max because it's a streaming show, maybe that production quality is going to be pretty dope. So probably we'll be more interesting to me than House of the Dragon. We'll see. Okay. Well, now we're getting into your shit here, buddy boy. The brave yeah. and the bold. Quote. Yeah. 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 This is the introduction of the DCU Batman, said Gunn, quote, a Bruce Wayne and also introduces our favorite Robin, Damian Wayne, who is a little son of a bitch. <laughs> the movie will take an inspiration from the now classic Batman run written by Grant Morrison and introduce Batman to a son he never knew existed, a murderous tween Wayne raised by assassins. It's a very strange father and son story. And importantly, it will feature a Batman not played by Robert Pattinson. thoughts dude they're bringing robin into movies we've literally talked about if they were ever gonna try and do it and they're just like you know what fuck it we're gonna do it from the jump i'm really excited i love that book i think the grant morrison run on batman in the in the early 2000s is really cool damian wayne's obviously a character that's become a lot more popular i don't really know your familiarity with them as much do you know who his mom is no i don't know anything about damian wayne or whatever Okay, I almost don't want to tell you, so I'm going to hold that back and let's just let, let time play itself out. But Brave and the Bold is also a really, really cool inside baseball thing for DC Comics fans. That's the publishing title that the Justice League debuted in back in the 60s. Um, and then in the 70s, the Brave and the Bold was a, a run of comics that they did where it's like Batman teams up with this person in this issue. So it's like, Batman the Brave and the Bold featuring Green Arrow. And then the next week it was Batman the Brave and the Bold featuring Superman. And it was just like essentially them using a flagship character to kind of bring in some minor characters and to team up with Batman to solve crime. So so but, how do you feel about this being like it? It sounds to me like this is being billed as like an HBO Max show. But no, this is a movie. You think so Brave and the Bold is going to be a movie? 
Yeah, in the video that James Gunn put up on his Instagram, each thing is noted at the bottom with whether it's a live action TV show, animated TV show, or a film. And this is one of the films. So, so how do you feel about this being a film? Like the introduction of a DCU Batman that's not Rob Pattinson. Like, what do you, what do you in, imagine? Is this is this the Ben Affleck comeback movie, or what <laughs> do you think happens here? I don't think so. But how funny would it be if it's about Ben Affleck having to raise a child he didn't know that he had? <laughs> and it's Casey Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like the mayor of Duncan. Um, no, I think it's going to be – it's probably going to be somebody that's in between the Rob Pat and Ben Affleck age range because if if they're following the comic book, Batman has to have been Batman for at least 10 years in order for his son to be born and, you know – exist for a while to become a world-renowned assassin before they meet so he'll have to be in batman for a little while but not as long as affleck who was like fuck it i'm gonna kill superman so it'll be interesting i really have no idea what they're leaning towards in terms of castings or anything like that but i think it's bold that they're like hey guess what we're bringing in superman that's a light-hearted superman and we're bringing in batman and robin like the the three oldest characters at dc we're just going to go back to the light-hearted ground roots i think that's a really good idea because they're like yeah you know we have the batman it's still coming out we all love it but we want this DC Batman to kind of be able to go into all the other stuff. It makes it a little easier if he's not Rob Pat, who, you know, doesn't even know how to talk to a woman and stuff like that. So hopefully we get Do you wanna do you wanna lay it down here on the line for the Radiovania audience? Do you have an early prediction for who's the next the the Batman in the DCU? Not the DCE. Dude, I, I have no idea. Couldn't even tell you. Do you? Timothy Chalamet. He's too young. There's no way that Timmy Chalamet has a 10-year-old boy already. <laughs> Jason Mewes. That would be pretty funny. What about... Hmm. Who's the... Who's the... Uh, oh, what a lovely tea party. Why not? Why, why don't we get Nicholas that guy? Holt? No, no. Oh. <laughs> no. That's oh, what a lovely day. Are you talking about Diedrich Bader? <laughs> yeah, let's get Diedrich Bader as Batman. How about he that? He played Batman in the cartoon, Batman the Brave and the Bold. So that would be fitting. There really? I just yeah. pulled that out of my ass, dude. Look at you, man. A bottle of wine in and you're still pulling it all out. <laughs> Diedrich Bader. Let's go, Batman. Let's go, baby. Fuck yeah. Oh, what a lovely tea party. Okay. Yeah. Anything else on the Brave and the Bold? No, I'm very excited for it, though. I, I've been if you're going to have multiple Batman movies, at least make one of them the more lighthearted, cartoony Batman, you know. OK, next up, they talked about the Batman sequel. Pattinson will continue to portray the Dark Knight in one at least one more crime saga movie directed by Matt Reeves. The movie is going to be released October 3rd, 2025 and is being titled The Batman Part Two. Fuck yeah. Let's go. I'm so sad. It's That feels so far away. That is forever away. That's over two and a half years away. That's so far away. But, you know, the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises had a four-year gap, and we survived. So. I guess you're right. But still, that's depressing that we're not going to see the next Matt Reeves movie until 2025. I know. That hurts, yeah. my, that hurts my soul. Yeah. At least we'll have Kang. <laughs> Ugh. 
Yeah. We're not going to have any DC movies in 2024. Did you see that though? So like Aquaman comes out at the end of this year and then they're taking a whole year off and the next DC movie doesn't come out until Superman, which is July of 2025. Wow. So we're going to have a whole cleanser while they make all this shit. Just That's crazy. The heart grow fonder. Yeah. Next up is something that you and Uncle Cal have been predicting for a long time. Booster Gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An HBO Max series based on a unique lesser known hero created in 1986. Saffron said of the series, quote, it's about a loser from the future. He uses basic future technology to come back to today and pretend he's a superhero. Gunn described it as, quote, imposter syndrome as a superhero, end quote. I have two casting picks for this. Okay. One is somebody that Gunn has worked with frequently, and that's Chris Pratt. Hmm. Okay. Two is somebody that looks like Booster Gold and I think would actually be funnier, and that's Ryan Gosling, who I, if they wow. could get him to be Booster Gold would be hilarious because I think they would have the same comedic timing. Booster Gold's a really funny property. I think this will be just like a straight-up comedy show, which is going to be kind of hilarious. I'm Mark my words. This, this is the first reappearance of Shazam, though, in uh, in the DCU. This is in the okay. Booster Gold show. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Like you guys have talked about Booster Gold so many times, and I'm like, okay, well, if there's a Booster Gold thing happening, it's probably got to be good. So I trust you and Uncle Cal's judgment here. I I, I don't know anything about the character, but um, we'll see. I'm excited. Are you, you remember me? It's not like you a movie, or you're like no. I wanted I wanted it to be a show. I think it'd be funny if it was like a peacemaker, like a like a a short eight episode comedy show that has a little bit of heart thrown in there and has appearances of other like D level superheroes, like the Blue Beetle and other stuff like that. Um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. I think I think that is the character in the hands of James Gunn that I trust the most from DC because I think it literally was made for him to adapt into something. Okay, cool. We got two more left. Yeah. Supergirl, Women of Tomorrow, Woman of Tomorrow. Taking its cues from the recent Tom King written miniseries, this movie, it's a movie. Or wait, hold on. Yep. Movie, big yeah, sci-fi movie. epic. Yeah. Um, we'll see the differences between Superman, who was sent to Earth and raised by loving parents from the time he was an infant, versus Supergirl, raised on a rock, a chip off of Krypton, who has watched everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life, then come to Earth. She is much more hardcore and not the Supergirl we're used to, end quote. So here's the thing. I haven't read this, but uh, Amazon did. It's on the way, so... I've heard really good things about it. It's Tom King. That's our guy who wrote um, Strange Adventures, Mr. Miracle, did a run on Batman. Cool. I heard that this miniseries is really good. I just missed it during COVID with getting it in single issues. So I've been waiting for a trade to come out. So I'm, I'll give you my review at some point. But okay. it sounds like they're going to probably adapt that word for word. So That seems wild, though, like just <clears throat> considering like what they're going to do with Superman and like having a Supergirl that's like a super – angsty ultra violent supergirl it's interesting i'm curious to know who they cast this not, is like is it violent like, or is it more just she's just beat down you know what i mean because she's yeah. seen with the tragedies of krypton for his, almost her whole life okay so uh but yeah we'll, we'll find out it'll be interesting super early not related to anything prediction i'm gonna say jenna ortega gets this role <laughs> i still think she's gonna be uh lois lane we'll lois see. lane 
Wow. Yeah, I think she I think she'd be great as Lois Lane. But uh, okay, we'll find out. All right, last one, and I want you to talk about this as long as you can. Swamp Thing, horror film that promises close to out the first part of the first chapter. Uh, Swamp Thing horror movie, Jonathan. Uh, just you know, get Guillermo del Toro immediately for this. This would be perfect, perfect. I don't, just get some kind of good horror director, but I think he was—I think he was born to make that movie. This just makes this just makes my my plant-based heart soar on eagle's wings. That this is one on of the eagle's movies that the, they're making a fucking horror movie for one of my favorite characters of all time, and it sounds like they're just gonna straight up treat it the way he was meant to be treated. Get weird with it, do some dark creature horror stuff. It's gonna be sick. Can't wait. Any chance we get a Ralph the Baker cameo in the Swamp Thing? <laughs> a little bit of that Cajun seasoning on that now. Um, I have an early prediction for who I think will be the voice of Swamp Thing. Okay, hit me. And especially if it's Guillermo del Toro, I think it'd be Ron Perlman. I think that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man, Swampy. He's ma- He's going to be in it. They're like... Guess what, Jonathan Parker? We have some good news for you. You got a new Superman, a new Batman, a Green Lantern show, a Supergirl movie, Booster Gold show, and a fucking Swamp Thing movie. Are you impressed? That's chapter one. And I'm just like, <laughs> yes. So. All right. So, well, then all said and done, we, I mean, we went through all the news for all of the DCU stuff. I mean, how are you feeling? I mean, I I'm uh, I I don't know how much I have really really to say here. Like I I I'm excited with some of the announcements. I think that the Superman movie is definitely something that we've been predicting for a while. Like I think that that's really cool that they're gonna start it off with, you know, you know, a more traditional Superman movie. I'm excited to see that James Gunn's writing it. I'm curious as fucking hell to see how that movie turns out. But for yeah. all the rest of this, that's stuff, the big one. That's the tone setter. But for all the rest of this stuff, it seems very – I'm going to say – maybe you'll disagree with me, but a lot of these announcements seem very niche in terms of, like, their audience. So how are you feeling? How are you feeling about the new DCU and uh, all this going forward? Well, I think it's niche from, like, a widespread audience. For me, it's just, like – it's just, like, you're naming, you know, Tampa Bay race players to me, essentially. So I think, like – It'll just depend on how they build their universe. They're going to have to work for it. You know what I mean? Unlike the Snyderverse, you can't rely on just the name. Like, hey, here's a fucking Justice League movie. Y'all better show up because you know what the Justice League is. Like, they're actually going to introduce characters and build up. At least I hope so. So overall, I'm pretty optimistic just because the... They're, they made specific references to writers of the comics that they're basing the films and TV off of, which leads me to believe right. that they're involved in production. I know Tom King has definitely been in their writer's room. So that is really exciting because those are the people that understand the characters the best, IMO. So, And we're getting a fucking Swamp Thing movie. I would say the boldest thing was them being like, Robin, we're going to go with Robin. And I was like, I was like, damn, I never thought I'd see him on screen ever again, unless it was a cartoon. Because Batman and Robin, again, is a really bad movie. And they decided to make Robin a 30 year old boy who lives with an older man. So this will be that'll be one that if they can stick to landing on a Batman and Robin movie, that'll be pretty impressive. 
So you're gen- if I'm if I'm gathering, you're feeling generally positive about this whole DCU announcement from James Gunn. Yes. Okay. Yes. I guess that's all you need to know out there, right? I mean, like, trust, a lot of trust, stuff- trust Riley. You know, like, <laughs> listen, they they were naming all the right reference material, in my opinion. I think, you know, it seems like it seems like he really knows what he wants to do, and if he wants to do it through the vein of using really well-known characters mixed in with really unwell-known characters, sure. Sounds like the Marvel Cinematic Universe to me. No one gave two shits about Scott Lang until 2015 when that movie came out. And now he's about to have his third solo movie. Yeah, that's a good so point. It, it can be done. That's a good point. I, I mean, I'll I'll be, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I'll just say that, you know, I wasn't totally, like, blown away by this announcement. I thought there were a couple cool little bits in there. Like, the Swamp Thing thing got me. The Superman movie got me. Um, but beyond that, yeah, the lanterns movie, I think that that is just a genius concept of having like a crime drama in outer space with superpowers. I think that that is really cool. But a lot of this stuff, I was just like, you know what? I don't totally get it. I'm not as invested in the universe as people like my best friend, John Parker, but, um, you know, it, it makes me happy that you're excited about it. I just... You know, it's interesting to me to think about this because, like, a lot of this stuff I just didn't have a reference point to. So if you believe uh, – like, if you believe that this is the smart way to move forward with the DC universe, I just think it's – you know, I'm excited to see where it goes. I just am – I'm a little – I'm not feeling overwhelmed isn't the right word, but I'm just feeling a little bit, like, a little confused because there's a lot of really obscure stuff here. But well, again, that is James Gunn's MO. Yeah, were you hoping that they'd just be like Batman, Superman, Flash, Green? I don't Arrow. know. I don't know what I was hoping because, like, I you know, I'm not really hoping for anything. I really just want really good projects. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care who the characters are. I don't care what they're doing. I just really want all the movies and the TV shows to be good. So if James Gunn is signing off on them, and if he believes in the creative teams, then I believe in them to do some awesome stuff but yeah um it's just weird for me because like none of the like aside from a couple of the announcements in that video nothing really like made me go crazy in terms of like ah, i can't believe that they're doing this uh it just seemed like it's because they're all comic reference things that you know you might not have read yeah so Maybe that's good. Maybe that's the the smart path forward for the DC universe is to kind of like, you know, take a take a more non-traditional approach. I mean, it's worked for them so far in the other world stuff, like the else world stuff, like we talked about. Matt yeah. Reeves Batman and the Joker stuff. Um, all that stuff I think has been excellent. I'm excited to see where it goes. But like the overall DC universe taking some more creative liberties, like doing the I mean, I I X'd out of some of the stuff here, but like Booster Gold and the <laughs> the team that sounds like they're like basically uh, the boys. It's like there's a lot of stuff here where <laughs> the I'm authority. Just like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, it just seems like a bold direction, and and you know, I trust James Gunn. I trust him. I just am curious because uh, you know, it didn't excite me 
from like a guttural perspective, uh, except for like the big marquee stuff. But that also might just show my level of fandom as a DC Comics guy. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not you. I'm, I'll never be you. Like you know all of the, you Don't know you all of the minutia it. there. So <laughs> it's like you know, it's hard for me to get super excited about like some of the minutia there. But uh, you know, I'm yeah. glad that you're, I'm glad that you're excited. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful to see where this goes. I think that it's exciting. Nonetheless, that they're just being like, you know, we're taking a bold new direction with this. We're announcing some projects you might not have expected. I think it would have been the easy way out, like the coward's way out for them to just be like, you know, we're going to do. Yeah, like were you expecting them to be like, like, were you expecting them to be like, you know, kingdom come, like think like big things like that? Yeah. Not just that, but be also be like, you know, because the rumors have been up in the air since the last few months. We've been talking about it, where it's like Aquaman, my, my, like Jason Momoa might be Lobo. It's like I was expecting this video. I'm to wondering be like, if that was made up. <laughs> we'll Seems see. to be more likely that it was made up. We'll see. But he could be, you know, he could be in Booster Gold. He could be in the Supergirl movie. There's a lot of places that they could throw him in there, but we'll see. Um yeah, I'm excited more for the when this actually gets closer to when they start to make things and they start to announce like directors and casting and for sure things like that. This is all very preliminary, and if you don't know what they're referencing, I can understand why it wouldn't be as like exciting as being like, we got a trilogy of Batman movies that we're gonna do. We got a Justice League movie on the way. We got a, you know, we got Hawkman. You know, stuff like that. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, no Hawkman announcements in this. Did that, uh, did that hurt your? Hurt oh, your he'll soul? be there. He'll, he'll be in something. Just you wait. Yeah, he'll be there. But yeah, I mean the and the thing that I'll end on is, um, you know, I'm glad that you're excited. I, I'm curious to see how all this goes, but it really does start to feel. I don't know if you agree or not, but it feels like this is the end of an era. We still got four more uh, DCEU movies before it's the the end of that era, but I mean the the next era is announced, so I don't feel like it's the end because I can't believe we have four DC movies to see this year. That's nuts. No, it was it was weird to see James Gunn be like the Flash, a movie that I've seen and I'm particularly proud of, which resets the DC universe. I was like, he's, whoa, bold. He said that it's one of the best superhero movies he's ever seen. That might be a little bit of smoke up our butts just so that he can get, you know, his Superman movie off the ground. <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out. We will find out. In but July. until then, John, you and yeah. me, we got work. We got work to do because the DCEU in review is not finished until the fat lady sings. And it sounds to me like the fat lady ain't singing until after Aquaman 2. Yeah, we have four four pods to do this year. For Four this. pods to this year. I can't wait I think, to do the Blue Beetle pod. Be I can't hilarious. wait to do that one either. I'm just gonna be like, I'd be like <laughs> shooting blind. Like I'm, I'm fucking just like I don't even know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be funny. But yeah, I think we made it. Yep. Four hours later, we did it. Four hours. Later. <laughs> Oh nice and concise. Nice and concise. Just like just like everyone expects us from Radiovania. But thank you all for listening to us. John, do you have any final comments on the DCEU plans there? That well, we can't call it the DCEU anymore. That's the thing. That's just gonna DCU. be the DCU. 
DC. That's the thing. It's an end of an era. Like we, how long of our friendship have we been talking about the DCEU and now we have to, it's just the DCU. I'm excited for our friendship in the DCU era, particularly because we get to talk about a Swamp Thing movie. So I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't change anything between the two of us. It's not, why are you being so weird right now? I the Snyderverse was terrible. This should, I can't should quit be you. That is done. I can't <laughs> quit you. <laughs> I'm glad it's over and we could still be besties. It's totally fine. Don't overreact. It's okay. I'll get remember. I'll get over remember it. when Black Skinhead came on and Will Smith's Deadshot <laughs> was shooting targets? That's what we're leaving behind. Yeah, so. yeah that's true. We are. We are. Hopefully, we're moving into a brighter tomorrow. With the man of tomorrow as the flagship. Holy shit. Boom. But yeah, there's a lot of speculation to come from now. There's a lot of excitement. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for many months to come. But in the meantime, thank Start you all. Start reading. Go to your comic shops. Ask them for these books. You got four years. <laughs> yeah. You got time. But in the meantime, thank you all for listening to Radiovania. You've listened to two grown men just talk about nerdy comic book shit for hours on end, and we love it. Hours. And we appreciate you. Hours. Hours and hours and hours. Do you regret it? Are you an old man waiting to die with regrets? Or I thought we were going to be done a little earlier than this, but, and we ended literally at the same time that we always do, so I should have known better. But I that's should've. okay. Hey, you know, well... I'll do some editing, but thank you all for listening to this episode of Radiovania. My name is at Zach Cretello on Twitter. He's at Najathan Parker. Thank you all for listening to the show. Follow us at Radiovania, radiovania.com for all the old episodes. And we appreciate you guys for sticking this out with us. It's going to be an awesome year. This is 2023, baby. Today, we're officially in February 1st, which means we have a whole 11 months of the calendar year to start talking about nerdy shit. So it's going to be it's going to be a good year. So. We are um, I'm excited. Two weeks, yeah. Right. Quantum mania. Quantum mania. Yeah, love the manies. All right. Thank you all for our, listening. Should we change it to Radio Mania? Radio Vain. <laughs> for one episode. <laughs> we could do that for one episode. Yeah, if we're gonna review Quantum Mania, but man, yeah, I don't even know when I'm gonna go see that fucking movie. We'll figure it out. Super Bowl week. Rest I in think, peace. So. Rest in peace to Gateway. Well, a Super Bowl week doesn't matter. I'm not going to be watching that shit. Fucking fuck <laughs> the Eagles. Fuck the Chiefs. Fuck all you y'all. Wanna, you don't want to watch the Kelsey family bowl? Which which son will take home the gold? <laughs> the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. I guarantee it. I'm going with the Eagles. Go Birds! All right, everybody. Cheers. And hey... Cheers to James Gunn. Thank you for, uh, you know, good luck. We'll just say good yeah, luck. Yeah, seriously, good luck. Yeah. You got big orders to fill. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, before we end this episode, John, Jesus, give me a quote from a, from, I mean, we talked about everything this episode. Give me, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, give me a Superman quote to end this episode on. Superman quote. You've got me. Who's got you? Dun, 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 dun,